Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day low actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus australian survivor 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 21 south african 12 ordinary australian one million pounds. Hello everyone and welcome to RHAP's coverage of Survivor 42 for Survivor Global. I'm your host Shannon Gast here to talk about what I think we all decided was episode 8. Last week was six and seven. I think I think we're categorizing this as episode eight. I cannot check it right now on this podcast. So if the title is different, that's on me. But I'm pretty sure that's what we're doing. And I have a great guest to talk about. Um, an interesting episode. It was a bit of a standard vote, but I think that some play styles, and particularly in comparison to each other, is fascinating me. And just some of the general dynamics, I think, was set up for a very interesting endgame. And we saw a lot of that in this episode. So I'm really, really excited to break it down with my friend, was a super fan, a Survivor South Africa favorite, and my passenger for this podcast, it is a great Jacques Berger. Jacques, thank you for being here. Hi, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, uh, I will definitely be a passenger today. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to, to chatting to you with Survivor with you. And yes, we've had some very uh, volcanic and, and impactful uh, episodes the last, I would say, four or five we've done. So this one is a bit more low-key. So um, yeah, I'm glad, glad to see the, the curse has been lifted. That every time you and I talk, it's not a massive double eliminations or, or, or crazy idol plays happening. Is that a curse? I feel like that's a gift. Like if we're always talking and it's like some really exciting episode, um, that's a very good thing. Like, that, like maybe it's a curse for the players, but we as podcasters in the audience, like that is that, that can't be bad. Yeah, but then I always feel like because the episode was, was such a high episode that I need to bring like my, you know, try to top that with, with the post-game commentary. Now, because it's a bit more low-key, we can be at low-key. So it's a good change of pace for sure. Yeah, I don't mind the low-key episodes, especially when I'm enjoying the season, especially when I enjoy the cast and I'm fascinated by some of the play styles and the way they might be looking at the game. It's like, sometimes it's good to just check in and be like, where's everyone at? Like, what are we talking about? What You know, what are their best kind of moves forward Um, without like every week needing to be some like huge vote that like takes up all the oxygen. So I'm actually still enjoying the season a lot. Um, still enjoyed the episode. Thank you for being, you know, getting into the car. That is this <laughs> podcast. I feel like I'm just, you know, driving that home, pun intended, as much as Jeff was. I went back and I watched that scene and I felt bad because on Twitter, I kind of caught out the cast for going so high key on the car metaphors, which A, was hypocritical because I did like a long-term car metaphor in last week's podcast. And B, I noticed that when I rewatched the episode, 
that Jeff like asks Romeo, he's like, say you're in the car. And Romeo does like not answer about the car. Like he like will not play with Jeff. So then Jeff's like, so back to the car, Chanel. And Chanel like barely touches on the car. And then like Marianne picks it up and runs with it. But I feel like he he was like bullying the cast into the car analogy that at least some of them seem to not want. And I'm going to do that with you in this podcast. We're just going to be on the highway of survivor analysis, just hanging on to down every week with the car. I don't know what happened. No, no, we we can keep rolling with the car metaphor uh, back to the episodes. I think we've, we've, the survivor has been, we've been to parties, we've been to places. We've, you know, we had six, seven crazy days now in the car, driving back home. Reflecting on the on on the crazy week, you know, getting ready for for the next trip. So we're in that uh, mm. on on that transportation part of of the journey. Mm. Just slow music in the background. Everybody's a bit, uh, you know, just like you say, reflecting. Um, so yeah. yeah, we we can go with the car metaphor. I'm I'm more than comfortable doing that. Yes, and many listeners probably are listening to this in their cars. So that works, <laughs> you know, like a lot of people listen to podcasts while driving. So hello, fellow car people in the now two-week car analogy that we cannot get out of. Um, I'm going to have to start learning about cars because that's clearly now a part of this job. But Jacques, before we talk about Survivor in, in car analogies, um, how are you? Tell the listeners because you've had some big life changes recently. I won't spoil it to them, but just, you know, tell the listeners what's been going on. Yeah, um, so I recently moved to London from South mm-hmm. Africa, which has been a great change of pace. So we've been in London now for two and a half weeks, uh, maybe three. It's been it's been crazy. I so far I'm loving it. I'm loving the big city. Um, I don't think I'll live in the in the city for ten years, but I think three or four years. It's so far it's been amazing. There's so many places, so many things, such an eclectic, um, you know metropolitan lifestyle, which is something that I've never really experienced, which is amazing. Um, and I think this is probably the first time that you and I have made podcast arrangements where we didn't have to spend, to plan it around, you know, load shedding and all of that. So that's also, yeah. also a big plus. Um, that's true. So many set issues coming in, but uh, the first time we did it, our, our schedule changed a bit. I'm, I'm now two hours, you know, west of where it was in Africa. But we, you know, we, we, we got, we scored on, on, on the load shedding scheduling, which is, which is great. So yeah, no, it's, it's been fantastic. I'm, I'm loving London. Yeah. How kind of you to move to another country so that every couple of months when we podcast, it might be slightly more convenient for me personally. I really appreciate that, Jacques. That's what you were saying about why you moved. Like that's, that's what it's, I got out of it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there's a big, uh, there's a big underground, uh, underground sounds, but there's a big survival. Underground survival. What is going on with that? Like, you know, betting on the results. Yeah. I, I mean, it sounds interesting. No, but yeah, just I start speaking like, like the British. Uh, Shannon, may I interest you in a cup of tea? Would you like some water? And so, but uh, no. We, Perfect accent. Just yes, like, yes. So good. I, whenever I, I hear the British accent, I think of um, Jennifer Coolidge in that episode of Friends, where she goes, Chandler, darling, you would positive, positively ghastly. You should, you should go around London talking like that, and I think people <laughs> will enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, so we've, you know, hang out with Sheldon, you know, and, and, and Dave and, and some of the other guys, Donna, and they've got this crowd, like Alex and Joshua, all these, like, people that have, you know, I've met now through Survivor. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been a great um platform for me to to get to meet people within London which is cool yeah British survivor community shout out to them I know there's like a lot of super fans there and like to have you move when they don't have UK survivor players uh that must must be such a joy so yeah you are are you the best survivor player in the UK 
Right. Um, well, I mean, Shawnee stays in the UK, right? She's played twice. She's better at the game. She's better looking. So I think Shawnee is probably the best London, London based. Shawnee moved back to Australia, I'm pretty sure. Oh, did she move back? Okay. Yeah. So I think by uh, default, you are the best survivor player in the UK of at least all the seasons I've watched and default the two greatest words in the English language. Yeah, it was worth it for the title. I mean, look, uh, I know Kieran from South Africa, he and Aditya are planning to move here. They are planning be... to move. And then you guys can battle over who's the best, but he we doesn't can, we can there battle. yet. Yeah. Look, yeah. I, I, I haven't played survivor against Kieran. I've played golf against him. Kicked his ass. Um, so, <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if uh, you are the, the international expert, so by default, if I am the best, uh, London, uh, the best placing, the only, uh, survivor playing in London, then yeah, maybe print a shirt, get a crown, you know? It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely like before like Kieran moves. Yeah, because Kieran, yeah. I mean, Kieran played a great game, like, that might be a bit of a battle, but then you'll be the best survivor golfer in the yes. UK, yes. so yes. that'll be... That'll be worth it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Relish this time before he comes. But Jacques, you said it was a bit more of a chill episode. I'd love to know your thoughts more broadly on how you've been feeling about the season and who's really been standing out to you. Yeah, it's so far it's been a great season. I will say with, with us moving to London, a lot of things happening. This is probably the first season where I haven't followed any of the preseason stuff. So I came in watching the mm-hmm. premiere was literally the only episode that, that I've seen of, of you know, background of all the players. Um, so I didn't have necessarily higher or lower expectations coming in, but I think from the pilot, I think this has been a great cast. I think they have, they've got they've great people. Um, I'm enjoying some of the, the you know, change in the production of May. They've had the, uh, you know, blessed to essentially play the same game twice, you know, and change what didn't work for him in, in the first, in the first uh, instance of season 41. But yeah, I think the people are cool. I think we, it's, it's feels like the editing is slightly more damp life favored and getting in these personal connections, which I think is something that a lot of people felt was lacking in, in, in the previous season. So yeah, seeing, seeing that and then also having, you know, some of those human moments, you know, the personal stuff, which, you know, some people difficult to share. You know, we think of Romeo, we think of, you know, Omar praying and Mike's watching all those things, which essentially starts conversations around, you know, normal life is something that survivors always been known to do. So in, in mm-hmm. that facet of a game, I think it's also great. So yeah, the challenges have been good. The advantages we'll get into that. I think have been well designed. I think they have done a great job of adding advantages into the game while not painting themselves into a corner from a production standpoint. And the people have just been overall fun. I don't feel like people aren't malicious. You know, there's nobody who's really like, you know, they're they're playing the game, they're playing to win, um, and and that's exciting to see. Mm, I mean, I'm wondering with the advantages for myself. Like, I wonder how much the advantages are okay or how much I as a viewer have just been worn down over years to this, like, you know, jump in small parts. Like, we didn't start day one at nothing and then get to this in a day. Like, we've become accustomed to it through decades yeah. of evolutions of the game and now this is what the game is like i have people who are new to the show like my cousin just started watching and she's watching australia but now she's going back in some of the older seasons and like it's stark for her just like how strange 42 is and for me i feel like we've just like accepted it slowly over time so i wonder like how much is that on us as viewers who yeah have just kind of been like predisposition to accept it versus like how much of this is okay because it is a lot and i was thinking the other day like i don't know that they can sustain a 26 day format, not because I feel like the days are changing that much, but just because I feel like they feel the need to overcompensate in parts for the days with some of the hardships. And like, 
the like specific themes that they go to around that. And I feel like that's going to get pretty old or at least just, I don't know how much they're going to want to redo things the way they've like redone 41 completely. So then there's going to be new things. They're going to be like more and more, I'll say creative. It's going to get to be a lot. And I feel like the 26 day format for that reason, maybe can't be sustained. So I'm just like, these are just things that I'm thinking about as like we, for some reason get like, an homage to season 41 through the season and season 41 was pretty good, but like, is it the season that needed like, you know, this level of fan service from the show? Um, it's kind of crazy in the end that we have like, yeah, like season 41. It's like, that's really just like, give it that honor that like almost no other season has had in the formatting of, of different seasons. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. One, one thing I will say, and that is something that, I mean, Australians are on the other side of the spectrum with, you know, them playing 54 days. But one thing that's, that really struck me watching, especially, specifically this episode, is when you play 39 days, I, I've never played the 26 day season, so it's, it might be difficult. But hearing what they, I think it was uh, Chanel or Dre, I can't remember saying, um, I only meet, I only know these people. Yeah, for, Dre for, said for, that, yeah. Dre, I only know these people for 10 days, so I don't mind voting her out, which is, I can understand from her perspective why that be the opinion they have but when you play I mean when we played we had this massive monsoon that was you know we went through essentially two like hurricanes and it was constant raining and there were these literally days of people just sitting in the shelter and sharing just like each other's like bodies just to get some heat you know just like cuddling and hugging and and that essentially forms you and then you get like that how we see the, the Saula fight being like super tight and the Amigos. And you see, you know, and, and the Nir and Amy and those guys even where they are like, we've been through so much as a group that we will not break at this point just yet. So I think that extra day or two, just slowly, you know, spreading out the pain makes you more prone to work with the group that you are around, whether it's, you know, your starting group or starting group of a second group. And I think that's something which very clearly in this season and um, the people don't have that same sentiment to the people around them. Yeah, for sure. That's the thing I mostly want to talk about with this episode because I feel like Drea as a character and her play style personifies for me the modern game at its most almost self-parody. <laughs> like literally, I mean, if you would yeah. want, like show a confessional to people who kind of don't love modern Survivor and love the pure old school game with her being like, I have all of these advantages and all of the advantages are also a little ridiculous. Like, let's be honest. So she personifies that and a play style that I find fascinating and maybe even correct for the 40s. And that's what I want to talk about. As opposed to Oma, who I think, you know, is much more the classic social strategy game that we as super fans love. Like on Nodals, they're, they're comparing him to the game that Rob played. Like Rob played in 2003. And it's still a super relevant game. But it's all about connections and options. And some of the things they said are so starkly compared to me um, that I find it fascinating. You have Drea saying, like, I haven't known these people that long and being willing to, like, cut them down versus Omar who's like oh Mike has like you know so much empathy he could be a good long-term ally for me and I'm like I love that way of thinking I love socially connecting like obviously that's what I enjoy about the game but then I'm thinking like as much as I love how Omar's playing I don't know that I agree that there is a long term you know there's 10 days left there's five voting rounds assuming that they don't do do or die and that that hits in which case there'd be four rounds of voting before they get to fire you know I don't know how much that is relevant for the 40s and it's an argument I've been having with my brother for like two straight days around this because I kind of feel like maybe Drea's way of thinking if you can do it to the level of success that I feel she is is the way that you can do it and while I enjoy Oma's way of playing like the options and the subterfuge and they don't even know where I stand that's fun there's a fun balance in that that we'll talk about but is even relevant for like the hard playing shorter 
more advantagey game that is the 40s. That's the fascination that I have with these, this this episode and the dynamics. So I feel like if we're talking about the modern game, Drea personifies parts of that and we can definitely talk that through. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's you saying there's only 10 days left, you know, five, maybe six voting rounds. It's it's bizarre to me that from day one, a lot of people have gotten advantages and, and you know, went to Shipwell Island, got all these extra votes extra idols and here we are and essentially none of them have been played so it's very rare it's, it's ironic because you think because the game plays faster you're a bit more prone to, to play with it but I think just because it's happening at such a great speed I might be inclined to think you don't have time to sit back and essentially strategize or plan or have these conversations on how to utilize it because you wake up you get gmail you go to a challenge you come back it's 2am or 2pm and you have to you know, three hours to scramble before you need to go back to travel and, and vote. So I think that, ironically, because of the pace of the game, and that's why we still have so many advantages unplayed at this point in time. Maybe the players are better, but that's just my read on the situation. Yeah, it's really, really interesting because, like, Omer's voted twice. Um, he voted for Mariah. He voted on yeah. the second of the split. He didn't have a vote at the merge, but obviously he had influence and capital, but he's still kind of in that phase of like, all right, well, let's like make these key relationships to like play out the game. But like, what game are you playing out? Because there's a double next week. That's going to get us to eight people. So you're going to go to one tribal council then. There might be a do or die. It kind of seems like there might be, so there's going to be eight, say seven is do or die, six and five, and then next week. So that like four voting rounds you would think heavily influenced by all the advantages that might be blocking up the end game. Like how much social strategy will be relevant or able to be played in this end game for someone who has just started voting for all of them who've pl- who voted at like a maximum handful of times, maximum yeah. already in this game. It's just an interesting thing to think about. And I'm, I'm going to want to talk about it like basically point by point, especially for Dre and Omar, who I felt like really had those different highlights in these, this episode. But it's just, yeah, very fascinating in a shorter game about like what social relationships mean, how much the advantages mean over that, how much threat level matters. Like it's just very, very different to me in the 39 day game and all of the other things that make modern Survivor, modern US Survivor that different. It's not just the, the days, but it also is three tribes. So they all went to tribal council much, much less in the pre merge one or two times. And now, all of those tribes are such a mess that the majority now seems like the most cohesive group and part or like some of the tightest relationships that they're meeting halfway through, you know, 12 days or so in, but there's only two weeks left of the game. And most of that, well, some of that at least won't be voting rounds, might be a do or die, will be fire for sure, will be blocked up by advantages. It's like, where is the space for the strategy and the votes actually being? So then like, how much does social capital matter to that? I'm just, I've just been thinking it through just because I feel like Dre and Omar are such interesting examples of both of those play styles. And I feel like Modern Survivor is so specific to one of them. So I'm just fascinated by it. No, it is really fascinating. And there's another thing that's a note here that I have, and it's something I want to talk about, but now is a bit as time as any, is that we see the, it's called the, the Advantage Omelette or whatever that Lindsay, Jay and I got. They should have called it something like the Interest Advantage because over time it gets interest. You know, it gets better and better. You know, it's like it, it grows over time or something like that, but it, whatever you want to call it. Um, I call it in my mind when I speak about it. To my, I call it the Interest Advantage or Interest Idol. But you mentioned now that we had 10 people left in the game with a double boot coming up, okay? So mm-hmm. then there's essentially eight people left in the game, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's the last time that you can use that is at final six. So if you want, let's say you are uh, Lindsay, okay, and you want to essentially use your idol at final six, you then need to vote somebody out 
at eight and then somebody out at seven to make sure that your idol is valid on six because that's the last time when you can play. So yeah, we are definitely, depending on what happens, let's say the double episode is two random people. Um, then and, and you have those three people left and they only have two votes left until they are, their advantage it has maximum power. We are definitely going to see them go head to head. Um, or, I mean, call a neutral truce, and just, just, which I, I, I don't think will happen. So it's also fascinating that even though the game has this, you would think, you know, random board of random targets, because none of these, obviously all three of them have, from a production point of view, fortunately have had, or have kept their, their ambulance, had nothing, and played it. This, this deep in the game, we are sure to see them turning on one another to make sure that when there's six people left in the game, I have a guaranteed ticket to five because that's a, you know, that's a, gives you a big impetus and, and, and a big reason to do it. So I'm very excited to see how this section of the game plays out. Yeah, I think Drea should be triggering, triggering the amulet war pretty much around now. Um, definitely using them being split into groups. So if you can get some people on the outside, she has an extra vote. This is the best time to use the extra vote in those small numbers. Start triggering it because she has the ammo to win and protect. Um, with the amulet war, so she can kind of use maybe an idol, or whatever, to then gain another idol later down the track with the amulet. She does have to think about the fact that the amulet idol will expire at six instead of five. So you might want to yeah. leave a trick in the bag for sure um, to get to, to through the five round. But I think that she should start thinking about that. And I think with Drea, as we start to kind of move to talk about her game, because I, you know, definitely think she was like a main character of the episode. What's really interesting is that she doesn't have three idols. She has one idol currently and the capacity for two more idols. And we're in a modern era where the advantages all kind of have this interesting thing about them. Like, okay, so now it's public. So there's that threat level. There's a bounty on it, like things that weaken them, but having all of them protects against that. So like knowledge is power exists. So that should weaken people with advantages because you can steal it. But she gained knowledge is power. So she protects against that. And Robin Stephen was saying, oh, it's kind of like she's the most useless person to get knowledge is power because she has everything already. I'm like, no, this matters the most to her. Just defensively having knowledge is power, keeping it out of someone else's hands. Even if she never used it, it would be worthwhile because she would be the prime target for someone to use it on because she has so many trinkets. So defensively to keep that, I think is like crucial for her game. So like having all of these things can be used to like compound each other, to activate other parts of what she has, to protect each other in ways and to protect against the weaknesses or the holes or the publicity that modern advantages or at least like advantages in the 40s gives you um, because she's now gained so many that like she's protecting against that. So um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. It's like, how do I protect against like issues with the advantages? It's like, just have so many that you then cover all those holes, if that makes sense. No, definitely. And I think what's interesting is from Jaya's perspective is, I mean, she's now, like you said, she's got all this ammunition. And we have seen sometimes when people come out with all this ammunition and then they, they get their way to the end, how they might be despised within their own season. You think of something like, like Russell Hans when he did it just, you know, idly his way to the end, how people didn't like it. Or when you, when you idle somebody out of the game, they, don't see it as, oh, you did a great move, you know, respect. They see it as, oh, you know, you essentially, you cheated me, you outplayed me, and, and people, have, you know, love to, to bear a grudge on, on that front if you play it like that. And we've also seen, if you think it's like, like, like Ben Dreberger, like Ben Dreberger, when he played, you know, I mm. essentially straight to the end, how, how post the season within the survivor realm, and, and when he went back for a second time, how people just didn't respect that game at all. So I'm just, concerned for Jaya that if she is now this person who's just every single uh, you know 
every single tribal council opening the bag of tricks coming out with this and with that and with this and that. that the people she votes out who essentially become collateral damage to this ammunition that she has sees that as, oh, in, in, a, in a not necessarily a competitive way of winning the game or, you know, you kept on, you know, getting all with six. That's the only way you could win that, that you know, you don't, don't, don't necessarily by default have respect to the jury. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking if perhaps the best move is not to use the knowledge of power. I mean, Whoever, if you have an idol, like it's one of those things as a kid, you watch it on TV, like I want to get an idol. And not a lot of people, I mean, modern day, more people do get it, but not a lot of people have the opportunity to finally find an idol. So we do, it feels really special as a survivor player and as a fan of a game. So to have that stolen from you because somebody's picked up another piece of, past, piece of parchment, although it's not their fault, I can see that the perception will be that, oh, this guy's playing a, a dirty game and, and, you know, you don't respect that necessarily. So, I mean, last season they did it, they essentially had their backs against the wall, so they had to make a move against Xander and, and his lines. I get that. But now, if you are in the power position, I feel like it would be much better instead of the end and say, look at all these trinkets I had, never had to play them, boom, than to say, I have to use every single one of them to move. And this is coming from me who likes to, you know, use advantages mm-hmm. to the optimal uh, degree, but there is some um, social trade off that you make. And I think Dre is an interesting position because we might see a playing a fantastic uh, social game and not being able to have to, use, have to utilize uh, these items, which will in turn show, you know, great strength on, on her part. So I'm very interested to see how this plays out. Mm, I mean, I think she needs to use knowledge as power. I think if Omar finds knowledge as power, he should never use it. That goes against everything he's trying to do, which is to help people, to build them up, to have connections. And then you've stolen an idol from someone. That's an advantage focused game. That's an anti-social move. Um, yes. I'm not going to go to the lengths of calling Drea anti-social because I think her social game is complex and we'll talk about it. There's definitely some social missteps. There's definitely some missed opportunities, but she's been socially central in every vote. Like she's in power and there has to be something to that, to the fact that people are drawn to her. She's brokering deals. Um, there's definitely something so- socially strategic in that. And it's not just this like advantage game, but I think for her, like she gave herself a framework to play by just by the person that she seems to be in her everyday life. And you have to play to who you are. She gave herself that framework episode one. And I was not on board. I was like, this, this is even too much for a 26 day game. And she's making me a believer that this will work for the modern game, you know, episode by episode, even if it's not necessarily something that I love in terms of a play style. Um, if anything, it might actually kind of highlight some of the, you know, frustrations that people have with the modern game, especially if you use something like knowledge of power, which is an advantage that people don't love successfully. But I think for her, her game is in strength. It's in putting your foot on the pedal and not letting up. It's about using what you have. It's about gaining every single trinket in the game somehow. Like she has not missed on the trinkets. And then it's about driving that home. Sorry for the, you know, I have to with the, (laughs) like doing that successfully if she can like now she has the weaponry and can you use that successfully and i really do think most modern juries will respect that last season they didn't xander had his own kind of perception issues and and the youth and everything like that and he's very much in the drea mold like to the point where like they both sat out of like the same challenge because they both didn't like the type of food and they both sat on the bench (laughs) a she doesn't have those perception issues b she's not doing it as an underdog as xander was which is fascinating to me she's empowered doing it and also she's doing it with even more success than Xander. Like he had this trinket game, but he still missed out on, on the bench advantage. She hasn't missed. She doesn't overlook one thing. Like she has found every single thing. And some of that's been luck. And some of it has been her pushing hard to go to Shipwell Island in the first episode 
get an extra vote to find the beware advantage. She found us here on the bench, but others have missed it. Um, it's about to me going to that maximum to going to that like true intensity. And I don't think that her success will be pulling back in waves or being more social in waves. I think that would be like kind of the antithesis of how I see her as a player. Like I see her as like getting the things, being extreme and using those things to success. And that to me is a successful game. It probably includes winning at fire. Like they said for Xander as well, like he was playing a version of that type of game, again, to less success than Drea and with less social strategy success because he wasn't in the majority the way that she is. And even yeah. then they were like, well, you should have used your idol on Ricard and then gone to fire. They wanted more from that. So I think for Drea, it will be about, are you using everything at least somewhat successfully getting to a fire and then standing up in front of what I believe is truly most modern juries from at least like the late 20s, not last season and every jury is different, but being like, this is how hard I pushed. And like, look at the framework I gave myself and look at how I ticked every box of that framework. So I think she needs to, you know, not let up on that for one second. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. And I think Jaya, there was a stroke of serendipity in her game with the, 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 uh, rocks being drawn when Mary Ann drawed the gray rock. Because I think, well, let me, let me, let me, let me ask this question to Shannon. If I drew the gray rock, and she said, oh, I want to sit out. Hi, you want to swap seats with me? Do you think Hi would have said yes? I think he might have because I don't think that, like, the bench idol is, like, iconic enough. Well, was iconic enough before the 40s and Survivor. Like, it had been done. Like, Sarah Lucina found it. But I think, like, enough people are thinking that that's something that they're well, necessarily hiding. Um, now, now people will fight, <laughs> you know, like yeah, but I mean, everyone's going to be so, fighting for the bench now, but like, I don't think before it was like well known enough to be like, yeah, there's probably something there. That's not why Drea even sat out. She literally didn't want PB and J. Well, so I, I don't think, know how much people are thinking. Yeah. That. No, I, I'm just like, so always production will be one of two things. Either they say you sit, you, you draw the odd draw, you don't get picked for a team or whatever happens. And there's 11 people. It's a five versus five challenge. And then they'll say, we've got nothing for you. Sorry, you're a loser. Go sit in the corner. And then more often than not, there's <laughs> something there. I mean, like you say, we see, saw it with, uh, you know, the one that uh, Sarah got. Uh, we've seen as an Africa survivor happen where there's something there. Yeah, but they haven't seen oh, it. Survivor, oh, so like, it happened with PK. Sure, like, sure, it's, sure. It's not more but, often than not. That's the thing. Like, it but, does but, happen, what, but like, you what, wouldn't assume. The, the, what I want to say, the point that I'm trying to make is often what happens in that scenario is, they will say, okay, you drew the odd rock. What you now get to do is you get to gamble on a team you think yeah, will win. And if you choose the correct team, then you get with. Then I feel like you're excluded, but you're still part of the game. So production yeah. is like they're giving you. So if they're saying you're out of it and it's by, by sheer random luck, they, they're not going to, they're not going to say, okay, we're drawing rocks. Two people can't participate in this challenge. Well, you know, better luck next time. They will always have an incentive because you don't have the option to win. There will be something else for you. So I think it's, I mean, we can, we can chat to some of the people, you know, ask these questions to people, uh, you know, in post-game interviews. But I think that it's sometimes it was, it's clear that there's something hidden there. And I think like, I think Drea got lucky because Mary Ann is like, she's, yeah, I want to play, I want to play. But I think they might have been, you know, somebody like, oh, even potentially Mike, who's, you know, thinking about the game or a bit more yeah. of his, or Omar, be like, well, no, it's fine. I don't like it neither. I'll just sit out. Um, which, yeah, I think worked mm. in Drea's favor. It's such a hard expectation to put on the players. Again, for the future, people will fight for the bench. I think in this <laughs> season, you wouldn't be 
like out of line to think like, uh, you know, that was the monster. I truly get nothing because so much of the season is around like, sure. we want you to suffer just to suffer. Like, and I, you know, even like, you know, they send Roxroy and obviously he gets something. So you would kind of think following on from that, like the people who are left out are included in some way, but I can, I can understand the line of thought that is also like, but also people sometimes just, you know, lose it in this format like sometimes they just want to punish us and i don't hugely blame them for that because i think there's like enough precedent that i don't know yeah you you think of the sarah lacina one but i don't think that it's like a recurring precedent in modern survivor um and that's also not why drea was doing it like i i really love the way i love to think about the way that drea is playing and how it works for modern survivor in different ways but i would have loved it more had she been like, of course I sat out. Like, I need to look for an advantage. You'd be like, yes, Ray, that's where you're playing. But like, literally, she hates PB and J, which is funny for a few reasons. She had a secret scene about how she's allergic to the coconut, so she's starving, which is why she sat out for the rice. So you literally just does not want the PB and J. Like, you could have had the potato chips. Um, I found that really funny. I also found it funny that she like, in her Dre way, will transparently say like that is why she's sitting out. Yeah. Do you think that she'd like offer an arm to Marianne to be like, Marianne, you seem like upset after the vote, and I just want you to be like part of the group and like have the opportunity but she's like i just don't want pb and j and like later with the rice like that is why she sits up she wants to eat she tells us that in the secret scene yeah. i wanted the rice and she's not like doing what some of the other people are doing which is like oh for everyone else she's like i need to eat um so this is what i'm saying like i can't call it an anti-social game but those are like anti-social statements like not even to take the social opportunity to do what is social moves like for self-interested reasons she wants the rice she doesn't care about pb and j not going to expend the energy but you think you just take the opportunity to be like I'm doing this for you mariano i'm doing this for the tribe and she doesn't like she's such an interesting character to me it's almost like sitcom level extreme of the type of player she is and i know that people were confused like why is she marianne arguing at the last tribal council last week like what is Drea's strategy like that's just who drea is and like <laughs> that's just who marianne is too it's kind of like the, the, the connections that they've had through the season like both going to shipwell island both being part of beware both being part of this exchange where like Mariana's like relentlessly joyous and Drea's like relentlessly blunt. Um, the ways that those clash with each other, yeah, I, I find are really funny. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think there's more complexity to that. I think it's literally just like two very different people being put in the situation and interacting in these ways, which is very entertaining to me and an interesting part of Survivor. But I, I just think, yeah, there's so much you can speak to of Drea's character. That is what, you know, all of this is about. It's just literally just who she is. Yeah, no, definitely. And Mary Ann, she is, you know, she's just enthusiasm and excitement and mm-hmm. so, so stoic and, and calculated. It's, it's fascinating to watch these different, different people play. And I think that brings back to the, to the very first point on, on, we spoke at the beginning is the casting. I think they've done a great job of having these different people and anybody can still win this game, essentially. So yeah, it's, it's phenomenal yeah. that we're seeing people being so on the one side. And, and I mean, Mary Ann, she's, she's, Given that confessional saying, you know, we, she was sad and crying and saying, you know, how she's on the outs and how she's been a dream to play Survivor and, you know, she's not one of the cool kids. Mm. And I mean, I can, not necessarily to the same extreme, but I can definitely understand what you're saying. Yeah. I know a lot of people sit there and they're like, well, just, just go out and make friends and just stop speaking to the people. But it's extremely difficult if you don't have, and, and we've spoken about this before on, on other podcasts, but I don't, so I don't want to go too deep into this, but it's very difficult if the, People you're playing with don't have a lot in common to what he, what you have. I mean, on our season, if if I played with Renier and Santoni and Kieran and Chappies, four people who were, you know, 
academical and, and, and nerdy people, I would have had a much different game or a much different social game than playing with people like, like Steffi and Nicole and Rob who are, you know, athletes and, you know, they speak about gym and, and exercise and training programs and, you know, a guy like Rocco who's an athlete. So that was on our season a lot more of those people. So it is difficult if you don't have that in common with the people to essentially get out of your comfort zone and start talking about stuff that you know nothing about. Um, so yeah, it, it, I, it, and then it just all just becomes exclusion by default, not because you don't have the skills to chat to those people. It's just you don't have that in common. And it's, I mean, it's like a drop off who the cost is, but I, I definitely feel for Mary Ann and I, I know there are a lot of critics who just say, oh, talk to people, but it's not always that easy. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I love Marianne so much. I've, I've said that in every podcast. Like, I truly believe that she is really, I can't think of someone since like Christian in Modern Survivor and Angelina was, you know, a big character in a different way in that season. And then maybe before that, like, like a David Wright, like what characters really to me stand out in Modern Survivor is like truly iconic, like clear returnees, which not just because she does the car analogy, but like Marianne's definitely coming back. Like the kind of characters for me that like elevate a whole season, even when I love other characters, but it's like yeah. a character that good that I truly feel it makes the whole season better for me. And I think when we talk about it and, and it's what you can speak to about kind of being on the outs, like that other ring um, is what we see a lot of in this episode, which we can definitely talk about, but it compounds itself. You can say like, go and talk to them, but it's not even like a social situation where, you, you know, no one has to be on the outs. Like that's the way that, social situations tend to go, especially like in high school, yeah. for example, like there are cliques and not everyone can begin. And survivors often compared to high school because it's a social situation where even if in a natural setting, yes, people end up being on the outs and like, that's just the way humans are. Like not everyone's always included, but like survivors particularly compared to high school often because it's a social situation, which like necessitates outsiders because you need people to vote out. You need like the, these others so that you can have a majority group and have power and control. And I think that it gets then compounded. You can't just say like, go, talk to people and be social because mm. there always needs to be someone on the body, bottom. Like there always needs to be a hierarchy. Like Marianne was that in Taku, even though she was connecting with people in ways and kind of irritating them in other ways, she, they needed someone who would be the next to go. Like they needed that plan. Yeah. And now it gets compounded and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So then it becomes harder and harder to like reach across the aisle because the gap bec- becomes widened because you are the person on the bottom and because that like behooves majority to have yes. someone who's on the outs who's not them. So it's like, you know, the hardest situation for these outsiders. I, I, I'm, I agree with you 100%. I will say the following, not to jump on the call metaphors, but sometimes when a person <laughs> is on the out, they can be, you know, like a deer in the headlights, like, oh, I don't <laughs> know what's going on. I don't know. And then essentially get voted out where I think Mary Ann is like, well, I realize I'm the out. I need to do something just to get myself back in the game. So I think that even just that self-awareness or that perception to realize this is, this, this is the one to feel the situation. I need to make an adjustment. And the fact that she's able to realize that and know, okay, I need to go and make different you know, social connections. Or I need to now start becoming smart about how I play my idol. The fact that she's realized that I think is puts her in a much better position than other people who have been, you know, segregated or, or, or you know, on the outs or for whatever reason, um, essentially without a way back in the game because they feel powerless. Uh, I think she at least mm. accepts it and she's like, well, I will definitely put up a fight to stay in the game as long as I can. Let's go. Yeah. And I really like parts of the way that she's playing 
from the bottom and doing that, like everything she can and like individual moves without power, which we'll talk about even in this episode. And we'll definitely talk about Chanel and Romeo in some of the double standards that are difficult for people in the outs and some of the othering that happens because it's a necessary part of the majority's plans and how difficult that can be for people. But I wanted to ask about Drea while we're still on that with you, because there are parts of Drea's game that um, you can find some similarities in for your game. I mean, you held, four advantages at a time. She has four advantages. Um, well, and this I, is why I'll just, I'll just clarify. I, didn't, I never had four at this. I had four. Not at the same time, but four in the game. Yeah. Same time. Four in the game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You had two idols, you had an extra vote and you had the reward steal. Um, so she's got four now at the same time, which is crazy. Um, and Dre's game fascinates me, as I've said, in thinking about it as a personification of the modern game, but also because I feel that that bold style of game is often more of a male game, definitely something that's accepted more in men, like a Tony style game in ways like Tony had, you know, some of his own social games, like also probably social missteps with control. Uh, but I think maybe more obvious strategic dominance where he's like running things. Dre is definitely part of the group, but I don't know if we, if we see anyone running things to the degree that Tony was through Pass of Winners at War and like through all of Kageyan. Um, But, you know, we see that like Ben and Mike have done this. I, I already described like parts of Xander, but all of those people, Ben and Mike and Xander, um, the, it's not just that they were men doing it. It's not just that we accept men more playing in that really bold way, but it's also that they, like you, were an underdog who was kind of forced in that posi- into that position where they're all the bottom and now they have yeah. to like fight their way out. Drea chose this approach from day one. It's just who she is. Um, so she's in that like win out position from the first day, doing it with more social capital, definitely doing it with more, you know, strategic room because she's been in the majority. But she's still playing to that like hardness and she doesn't even get to have to, you know, be forced into it like halfway through the merge. Like she's doing it from the beginning. So I wanted to ask you about that. Like obviously there's success in the game she's playing, but it's also like such a unique way to play. So difficult does not come with some of those other demographic parts um, and game style parts that we often see with the underdog. We've seen it as well with like Wentworth, for example, but like, it's just so interesting to me. So like, where do you see parts of that similarity and differences to your own game? Yeah, that's it's a great question. I've, uh, one or two people have mentioned this on Twitter as well. I think, I mean, obviously there's a lot to break down, but I think the the biggest difference is that, like you said, like when when I played, it was essentially uh, a misstep on my part, and that put me out, you know, ranked me down the podium totem pole, and then got into a tribe that kept losing. So I came, I was in the game on the back foot early on, and then coming in, not not coming into merge as as a um, as an outsider, but essentially having to to be the one on the outside, and you know, people are coming for me. So it's a it's a much different game than the position of Dreyas in which is in the in a you know didn't lose that mm. much uh, pre-tribal or uh, 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 pre-merge and then being in control. So I think if you're in control, you don't necessarily have to use your advantages. You can be a bit more cagey. You can have your skill a bit more because you don't necessarily. I have to now scramble or make play. So that obviously puts in the, the fortune position where she's in where, I mean, people know about, about, um, I don't, they know about the idol because she had to set the activation phrase, but nothing else yeah. that they know. They know about the extra vote because she told everyone about the extra vote. Yeah. Which part yeah. of that felt like a misstep and part of it, I really liked her connecting with it. They don't know about the amulet, yeah. but they could find it out at any time. Um, especially yes. if she starts an amulet war and then someone else thinks that they're like, if she like takes out Lindsay, for example, and like hires like, yeah. okay, she's coming for me. Like, let me kind of expose this. And Tori knows that, about the red paint. So there are clues in that, but the only one that's like truly a secret that no one else knows about is knowledge is power. 
Yeah, some of that's her fault and some of that is her choice and some of that is not to do with her at all. Like, that's the game. And and one thing I want to send extra vote, and we've also spoken about this before, it it always keeps popping up, but I, and this is my my perception, I think the stars really have to align for you to make the extra vote, like, work out in your favor to, like, really change the tribal council. It's, it, I think we've had it, like, happen once. I think last season. So, uh, first, only last time season that, uh, continues to be, yeah, like, uh, debated. Uh, like, did Xander use the pressure of it at the final eight? Um, Ricard did use it to to split, hmm. um, but then, like, it was against contingencies that didn't even yeah. happen. But, yes, it made it, like, possible. So... Yeah, it so, had the most influence last season. Yes. But so even was, then, yeah, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see a vote. I feel like that counts. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's always, it's it's very rarely that it, that it swings a tribal. But if people find out you have an extra vote, but you didn't tell them, you didn't tell them, then immediately the perception is, oh, this guy is very sketchy. You get rid of me. He's got extra stuff. He's not telling us about. But if you use your extra vote and you just tell one or two people, like, hey, I got this extra vote, you tell them when we need it, then we can make a plan with it. They're like, okay, it's cool because it's not super threatening. You know, they can still vote you out. They don't yeah. have that image of, of this guy's now immune. Well, what are we going to do? And I, I keep using this example. I, I told people about it and it became public knowledge. And when the merge happened in our season, every single pocket of people came to me like, okay, we, we, need, we, need, we need seven. So we're going to have six and you come with us, you bring your, your, your advantage with uh, your extra vote, then we're seven. So it, it put me in a position where people were, were approaching me to in, be included in whatever the plan was with essentially me not being the target, right? So I think that the extra vote, in my opinion, the best use of it is always as some kind of a social bargain, not a bargaining tool, but just a, a bit of, you know, rapport building, uh, confirmation with, with your allies. I think that's the best use of it. And Drea has done exactly that, which is, which mm-hmm. is great. Um, so yeah, and then. Trying to think, uh, like I said, we'll see, we'll see what happens in, in this five person tribal. There's essentially her and, and Mary Ann that have an extra vote, and potentially either Lindsay, Jay, or I, depending on how they play the, the advantages. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, um, I, I've told you what I think about the knowledge power. I think if you are with your back against the wall, I think it's an extremely powerful tool to stay in the game. But I think it can be a, you know, it can be a bit of a, a nuclear option where as soon as you press it, people will be like, okay, well, you know, sure, you're in the game, but. Uh, the fallout is so bad that you contaminate the poison the well and there's no chance of you getting votes at the end. So, I mean, is she stacked for every, or is she equipped for every single scenario? Absolutely. She can play it in such a way that you get to the end and you're like, let, um, you know, dump your bag and say, this is everything I had. Didn't have to use any of this. What a great game I played. Or it can be, you know, one or two great moves and you can say, well, everybody expected, you know, uh, Jonathan to win, but I Jonathan voted, uh, idled out Jonathan, so I took out the biggest threat. Give me the money. Very similar to what Adam did. He said, well, I got rid of uh, the guy everybody was thought was going to win the season. By default, I'm now the, the guy with the, with, the, with the biggest set of chips, so give me your vote. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I can see her using it a lot of ways. Um, I'm, I'm impressed that she hasn't played any, but maybe that's because of the uh, base of the game, because it can, advantages can burn a hole in your pocket, for sure. It can definitely mm-hmm. start weighing you down. And we've even had people like Mike from our season as like open said, like he, he didn't look for idols because he knew that if he has one, the pressure of what to do with it will just be too much. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to have that anxiety in this game. He'll just play the game without it. So, I mean, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, thinking about it, when we talk about the modern game being less social because it's shorter, so Dre is like cutting yeah. allies like Romeo. Day one allies like Romeo, whose whole like thing was about how he wants to like build Dreyer up, and she's like, I don't know you, uh, which is funny to me. And how it, you know it's very advantage heavy 
I don't think that those two things are mutually exclusive. Like thinking about it, almost all advantages are like in their nature, at least individual, if not quite antisocial, not the extra vote, which is like the most collaborative advantage, mm-hmm. which is like, I'm adding a number to what is already surely like our team at the very least. And maybe that's why we don't see yeah. it very effective because like you're already winning the game in numbers. So that's why we see the ways that it was effective last season were like protecting those numbers with Xander or like protecting against contingencies. You could use it to like to split a vote, but you're already like winning in the numbers game. Every other advantage at its core is individual. I mean, you think about like the big advantage yeah. moves. Um, Kelly Wentworth, like, you know, the biggest move, she like negates all these votes. She got nine votes. She's losing the numbers game. It's an individual thing. It's like an antisocial thing. I guess, again, if you're, if you're considering the socialness of the tribe being the majority, like that's the big social group and she's yeah, against yeah. that. Um, and then it compounds with Modern Survivor where literally the amulet is a bounty, which we'll talk about because I know that you've wanted um, a bounty thing and you've, you've mentioned it before. That's like a full-on bounty. I love, a, I love the bounty concept. It is great. Yeah, it is, it's for sure. And, and so, but, but, but they have to like, they, they know that there's like the connection there, but it's actually more of like a detriment to what should be their connection. Knowledge is power. She's stealing an idol, an antisocial thing. And that's why it's interesting for Dre. When we talk about, like, it's usually a male game, we usually see these male games as, like, yeah. they can be more individual. Like, again, very, very broadly, but, like, what can be seen as, like, more, like, feminine game is, like, the social intricacies. Something like how Lindsay is playing, always doing social first. Even when she reads the amulet, she's like, I don't know that I want to, like, be lying to my tribe first up, which I really like. Even when she's sitting out of the rice negotiation, she's already, like, she does it first. She's like, I want to... um you know, help out the rest of the tribe. She's like very, very social in that way. That's like a very like classically, again, very, very broad, but like classically feminine game. We see often like men come out and play this more aggressive game and it's often the tricks in the bag. And then when we say it's the underdog game, of course it is because people don't have allies. So if they were allowed to play the individual game, like you, you didn't have, you know, people who were there for you on the tribe, but you had your, you know, your idol. And that was a nice friend for you to have. Um, So I think that like, What's interesting about Dre's game is she, it has not necessitated this at the point where we currently are, at least, because she has been in the majority. Like, no wonder she hasn't used them. Like, she's voting correctly, but she's going to need to trigger some sort of more individual game to go against people, you know, with the bounty, to protect against those things, to idle people out, to, like, use these advantages successfully. And I think it's a game she's willing to play because we do see her cut allies. We do feel much less interested in these, like, tight social connections. Um, but then it comes with the fact that she's been socially in the numbers and strategically powerful. So yeah, that's really, really interesting for me as well, because I think it makes a lot of sense of why her gameplay works with the modern game and why when she's tending towards a lack of socialness, um, I actually think that that's okay. Even if that's not something that I really enjoy, like the social connection should be what's important. Like the ability to just cut Romeo. I'm like, you're right. You have known him for two weeks. Like there is 10 days left. Like, I don't know that you need like a friend for life right now. Like when Omen Mike are reconnecting so well, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful TV moment, but like you don't need a lovely guy to work with him for a week and a half. So it's just like such an interesting thing for me. And I know I've said that like on times in this podcast, but that dichotomy to me is really, really fascinating. And I think so much of it goes into the shortness of the game at the moment and also um, the advantages and how that's gotten like more and more antisocial and, and even starts kind of in that position um, and the fact that Drea holds so many of them, like she really does begin to embody that that thinking. Yes, I, I, there's just one thing we've we've spoken a lot about Shannon uh, now about the advantages. There's just one thing I'll say, which I might say I disagree with you. You're saying every, uh, with the exception of the extra vote, every idol or every advantage is uh, self 
uh, you know, self-improvement. Yeah. Self-interest, yeah. What I will say... I think you can't protect the majority, but... Yeah, but... At its core, yeah. I just just want to make the following point. If you, like, let's say you put yourself in in, in the... You use the Kelly Wendt of Sonora. Let's use that. Everybody's ganging up on her. She plays an idol. She sends home whoever they want to do. Whoever she wants to send home. Um, Mm -hmm. I think everybody's opinion of that afterwards be like, okay, we came for her. She beat us fair and square. It is what it is. Good on you. Well done. Nobody's going to be angry at you because you you defended yourself, but you didn't do any Mm. malicious damage to anybody else except for burning out the ally. Whereas if you do a knowledge power, you steal somebody's advantage. Yeah. Now it's not just now it's suddenly leaving a south taste in the mouth. Like, hey, wait, this was mine. Now it's yours, and then you might become the black sheep. So I think there's a slight difference in an idol where you just like as a defensive item, you shield up and say, "I'm shielding myself." Sorry, all the arrows get deflected. This is I'm not taking weapon. I'm stabbing you with it to get an <laughs> advantage because then it feels like an attack and not a defensive move. If if that makes mm. sense. No, I agree. I just, I think that it's become much more extremely against others because knowledge of power, you're stealing something or steal a vote, you steal it from someone. Um, yes. The amulet has like a specific bounty. Um, I just think that the idol as a tool, when you think about it at its core, starts in a fairly self-interested place. It, it, it's, it's definitely it a more is, neutral yeah. item and it can be used for a, like more versatile reasons. Um, it doesn't have to be like that. But I think like, at its core, when we think about like power idol plays, they are like self-interested moves or like yeah. not with the group. Because that's no, the point. Sure. If you're getting all yeah. the votes to use an idol, you're not, you know, with the group, it's not as much being with the numbers and, and like the socialness of it. Yeah. But it's definitely a much more neutral item. But I think like starting at that base and then it's been built up through it. And I think, yeah, now Drea has the tools in the bag and some of the play styles to kind of correspond with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's talk about the the bounty part of the amulet um, before I want to talk about like Omar, for example, and his comparisons in this way, because you said, I think, was it the last podcast we did or within the, the most recent podcast that we did, you wanted a specific bounty, must have been the Survivor South Africa that we were talking about it. You, you wanted a specific bounty twist. And the amulet is as close as we have to that. Like it's a fake connective tool that is almost completely a pure bounty. Like it yeah. could have pretty much, they could have like left out all of the stuff about like, you can use it together and just been like, when there's one of you left, it's an idol. Um, and that is, I think 90% of what the advantage is. So like, what do you think about like the, the bounty aspect of that? I, I love, I love bounty idols or bounty tools in any kind of game, whether it's a board game or a video game or a game like survivor. And uh, not to say too much, but we might in future see a bounty idol in a survivor's Africa, which was, something I might have passed on to the people who, you know, make the show. Um, mm-hmm. So I, 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 have, I have two fantastic bounty ideas in my head. I'm not going to say them because people might listen to this and uh, prepare for them. But I, I love the concept. And I think uh, a, bounty in, a bounty in the game is fascinating because people always complain about, oh, there's a begonging or they're just taking down, you know, uh, you know, the, the minority or, you know, this tribe, you know, just telling of that tribe. But as soon as there is a bounty component in the game, as soon as you know, well, if I vote out this person, if I can switch the target to somebody within my alliance and get that bounty, there's a massive boon in it for me. So mm-hmm. then you see like a lot of, because you always, you sometimes see people, um, try and use a, an example. Let's take a uh, season eight, Nicole. I don't want to get too many spoilers. Oh, I mean, people watch this. Really, you know, but yeah, it's fine. She, she played for the most, 
sport, a very passive game, and just at the right time at the end, being boom, boom, and essentially, you know, she ended up with a, with with the crown on her head. Whereas I think uh, you can essentially win survival by playing a passive game, but I think the bounty puts an impetus on anybody to actually make a move. And it might be, I mean, you have people who enjoy making moves, but if you are a person who just plays a passive game, um, and now suddenly there's a bounty in it, now you become, you become conflicted, there's a bit of internal conflict, there's external conflict. So I think it's a win-win-win for everybody. It's exciting for the audience because they're like, okay, how long can this guy keep, keep uh, you know, this uh, extra whatever he has before somebody finds out and, and they want to swap around? Or... Uh, if let's say you have a bounty and you've had somebody out, now it's like, okay, well, there was a bounty. Who now has the bounty? You know, it's almost like in Winners of War, you've had somebody out. Like, okay, who did they give their the point to? Now you're starting to, you know, tomorrow morning wake up and you, everybody's like uh, uh, this Mexican standoff where everybody's looking at each other like, okay, now who has it? You know, who's got who's got the blues now, you know? Um, so mm. I, I enjoy it. Um, I think it's fascinating. And I think what's cool here is it's not necessarily a, legacy advantage that gets passed down, uh, but it, it's rather something that, that like I call the interest advantage, which will become stronger. So you you don't want to use yours because then it dilutes that value, but if you can get somebody else out, then suddenly yours, you, know, you get bigger ammunition in the game. So yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. fascinating to me. It's multi-layered. It adds strategic component to it. It adds a social component because you need to work with somebody you don't necessarily want to work with. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I also think what's underrated about it is the three-way bounty of it. Because like, if it's just two people, yes. like, well, you vote that person out and the secret dies with you and now you just exactly. do the thing. Versus yeah, yeah, that's a good the point. first part is like the warning shot that you're giving to the other person <laughs> of the bounty. So like, say that they are separated next week, which they are going to be in highs on one tribe and Drea and Lindsay on the other. Drea sees her challenge. She's with some outsiders. She uses her extra vote. She takes out Lindsay. Now high is going to be like, well, that's concerning. And then he can fight back and maybe tell people about like the shared secret that they have. Yeah. Or even more than that, like Drea might need Hai to take out Lindsay if they're going to like go for Taku and she wants to make it like a Lindsay thing to get the amulet. Hai's aware of that. Is he going to want to do that? Or she might want to go against Vati or take out like the power duo of Hai and Mike. So then she work with Lindsay, but then Lindsay's like, wait, no, why are we going for Hai and not for Mike? Oh, you yes. want the, um, you want the, the amulet so working together becomes difficult the warning shot becomes difficult so i think that is actually a really fun part of the bounty because it's very very tricky for drea to a get it done i mean she has the defense mechanism so that's why i think she should still go for it but like yeah that we even talked about it last week like well, maybe they don't like i wouldn't want to take out Lindsay because like you trigger an amulet war where you've like basically told drea to come for you now because you're like a straight shot away and maybe she thinks that's something you're trying to do if you've like taken that shot. So I do think it's a really interesting um, mechanism and we'll see how it, how it plays out. But I wanted to kind of talk about Omer's game because I thought he was a really big part of this episode as well. Yeah. More, more kind of continuing on of what we know about him, but I, I loved how he's using um, his lack of vote to, uh, to, you know, kind of shield or hide how he was voting last time to continue those connections. It's, it's just, it's so old school. It's so classic. It's so socially strategic. And it's all about like balancing that threat level and that awareness. Like it's, 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 it's an opposite game to what Dre is doing. They're both, they both laid out this framework that they're doing, I think at this point to like optimal success, but he's very much aware of like, well, he doesn't have any advantages, but he's like, you know, helping Marianne keep hers. Like maybe she'll use it for him. He's aware of who has what he has those connections. He has that information. So what do you think about that game? As we've just talked about what Dre is doing 
such a stark comparison, like clear stark opposites and things like sitting out in the, in the way that he does it versus the way that she does it. It's the same move, just done in totally different ways. And I feel like it's so fascinating for me to see the stark comparison of two successful games, but they're just, they're polar opposites. Absolutely. And one thing I'm glad you, and I'm glad this episode happened that I can chat to you about this, Shannon, because I was oh. in a very similar uh, mm. uh, when, uh, position on our season where, at the beginning of the merge, I had the extrovert, and like I mentioned earlier, a lot of people were coming to me, you know, to 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 start using it, and I could essentially vote with the one group uh, and tell the other group, you know, vote. I voted with with the majority against the minority, but then I'm like, oh, I don't know what's going on. So I had like essentially two or three rounds until eventually the the camouflage was to be like, oh, you know, it's like an episode of uh, Scooby Doo, like. Bring up the mask. Oh, this is who you're really voting for. You know, let's. So mm-hmm. it, it took a while, and and that's always fun if you can play numerous sides for a long period of time. Uh, and and that's and almost doing it right now. I mean, eventually somebody is going to you know compare notes and realize okay, Omar was voting against, and I think it might be the next episode. But one thing I will say, which is which fascinates me about Omar's game, and I want to take you all the way back to the pre-merge uh, in the the episode that that Swati got voted out. She, they did exactly the same thing. Okay. Almost going to everybody, having conversations with everybody. He's got a finger in every pie that's, that's, that's on the table, but he's not be, he's nobody suspicious about it. Swati did the same thing, but the small difference is she went to five people and told five people, I am your number one. I am your number mm-hmm. one. And I'm your number, number, I'm your number one. It's almost like a pinky swear. It's like, okay, you and me to the end, ride or die, baby, let's go. And if people find out you have more than one number one, then your credibility becomes zero. Okay. But what I was doing is he's going to different people, different pockets of people and he's giving them information, which isn't information. He's telling, uh, Mary Ann, Mary Ann, I'm coming to you now. They want to flush your idol. I'll keep a note on it and I'll tell you when, when it's going down, but I got your back. I mean, Mm-hmm. It's such a non-info move because obviously at some point in time you want to get rid of Mary Ann's idol. So telling her that you're giving nothing away, but at the same time you are gaining her trust because she's like, okay, okay, you know, almost mm-hmm. he's he's got my back. Um, the same way he's like, you know, like okay, uh, uh, what we want to do, Romeo, we're going to split it. It's either going to be Tory or or Chanel. I mean, they know that, but him telling them, he, him telling Romeo, we're going to split it in one of these two people. It's like, okay, okay, cool, cool thanks, keep you posted. So he's not giving away any information by just telling them what they know, but they see it as this guy's coming to me. He's really got my back. I will make sure that I stop top his back. And it is a brilliant way of using, because he mentioned information is currency and he used, he's doing this perfectly where he's not playing himself in the corner, but at the same time, he's building his connections and making people feel that they are their number one. And people who do that, he called it in our season, phenomenal place. Mm. I mean, you mentioned Marianne, and for me, it's more than just the information. Like, he was there for her in a way that I don't even think I realized last week. Like, Taku weren't. Like, Lindsay has to come and, and apologize to Marianne. She obviously threw Marianne out last week, and, you know, Omar had the benefit of being immune, so he wasn't, like, scrambling the way that the rest of Taku were. But it wasn't really a Taku thing. Like, it feels like Omar really reached the hand out and was the one bringing Marianne into the vote when she's not even in the majority. And more than just the information, like, he's he's being there for her. Like, you you know, think about like how in the outs you felt and just to have someone who is there for you and makes you feel included or cared for or protected in some way, like the emotional impact that that can have, I think is bigger than even like how much information is he really giving? Like she knows that he's saying he has 
her back. You know, whether he ends up doing it, that'll be its own thing. But he's reaching out that hand. And I think that that is so powerful. I think also you talk about like someone like Swathi who's doing this kind of game poorly versus Omar who's doing it well, because there are similarities of like, you know, talking to everyone. It does kind of feel like Omar's game could be unraveled in just a few conversations. It would just take people who aren't connected at this time to be like, wait, is Omar telling you things? I and mean, we see it even happen, like Rock's told, Tori something like she comes back. Yeah. Um, whereas for Uma, it's not happening. I think a lot of that is on the read of knowing kind of like what he can tell to what people and what they're going to bring back to each other. And also just like using the fact that they're so disparate from each other and that there's this like, you know, minority majority thing that feels quite stark to us where people are like, in, in, like they're having these like contentious relationships, like arguments, you know, um, like Mike and Chanel and even Dre and Romeo are breaking apart and he's in the middle of that connecting it. So like they're too far apart from each other to even have the conversations, to, like check notes that he's the one running around talking to everyone. And I think he's using that by not having contentious relationships with anyone. So it's again, just like pure socialness that other people aren't using as much having social missteps or having social gaps with players, even if they are in the minority where he gets that information because he's just like with everyone and so connected. And I think again, it's really fascinating to me because it's based on, the necessity for balance, like it's like balance of getting those wins, but still pulling back on threat level. Like we see that he pushed hard last week because he needed to, but this week he's like, Oh, I don't care who goes. And I love that. I think pulling back is necessary. That push and pull has been the beauty of what survivor at its core was. And I think Omer is an old school player in that way. It was always about like, how far do you push? How much are you willing to win challenges, find things, play things like make yourself a threat or are you inherently a threat? So it's again, balance against like who you are as a person and how you're perceived versus though, like how much are you pulling back so that you aren't as visible so that you don't get taken out in that way. And that like core balance and like kind of fragility of the game was what made it so fascinating and continues to. Um, and that's what I've been thinking about modern survivors. Like how much has it become? If, if Drea has success in it, does that show that Omer's way of thinking is outdated? Um, in like super, super successful subterfuge social strategy games versus super, super successful play hard games, but you have to play it at its best. But does that show if, if Drea has success in that way, does it show that Survivor has lost that balance, which it definitely has to a degree, but like how much has it lost it? Where is Survivor like an Olympic sport now where if you find the most <laughs> things, win the most challenges, play the hardest, get the most wins, you will win the game. That is not what Survivor used to be. You couldn't just like win, 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 and win the game because you get taken out. Like too much success would cut you and that's why it was a balance. Um, so that's what I'm thinking about in terms of modern Survivor and I think how it plays out might show that in these two different play styles. Like if Drea does use all these advantages and then like beats Omer at fire, that to me would be like kind of like an interesting embodiment of that. And we'll see how the rest of the season goes. But I do think, you know, Jason says I'm going a little bit hard on it, which I definitely agree that I am. And we haven't seen it play out. But I just think seeing these different play styles to me um, is just an interesting thought experiment about where Survivor is and what it necessitates, even if it's against play styles that we as super fans maybe enjoy some of that social strategy stuff. I love it. I love watching it. I think Omer's doing it amazingly well. And I just wonder how relevant it is in the 40s. So I'm just, yeah, keeping an eye on that, if that makes sense. No, I, I hear you. And and I've said this, I think, on every single podcast. If you're not going to say it, go in detail. But Survivor has something for everybody. Some people enjoy the strategy. Some people enjoy the the uh, the advantages. Some people just watch like watch Jonathan run around about his shirt. And that's what's the beauty of this game is that mm-hmm. something for everybody to, as, as a viewer. Yeah, that's what know, Jeff to, likes, I think. Like, that's what well, Jeff gets out of the show. Exactly. And, 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 and
And I'll just say the following now that I've uh, rolled and mingled with a, with a bit of the, uh, the the London Underground survivor uh, community. The Lunderground. Um, How did you not the, go with Lunderground? The Lunderground. Then it sounds like a German word, but uh, the <laughs> the Lunderground, the Lundergrund. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but I mean, like, so so it's interesting watching it with them because, like you said, you know, some super fans value completely different things to what. Like some of my common friends, not common friends, but surviving commoners who just watch the episodes and another life, like they like completely yeah. different things um, mm-hmm. in a survivor place. You know, um, and, and it's fascinating. And, and that's there's no right and wrong. You know, the one group isn't right, the other group wrong. I think both some people can enjoy different facets of the game, and that's why it is such a great show. Uh, one thing I just want to mention about uh, about Omar, you know, bring it back to what you're saying about him. You also need to remember that people who are at the bottom, they don't have anybody, right? So they don't have that, like, buddy cop who's got their back or they don't have mm-hmm. somebody who's in the trenches next to them. They are completely, essentially fighting the game alone. So it's rare in a game for it's like survivor, somebody to have your back. So if you are in a position where you have nothing or you've got nobody and you are concerned about what's happening and somebody like Omar comes around and is like, hey, listen, don't worry. I'll tell you when it's you. I've got your back. You, even though he might have a conversation with, with eight people, if you just put yourself in Mary Ann's shoes, like she went day one, she made him the mat, which he used just to pray on, still within mm. the episode, we, we saw that, that, that scene with Mike. So she's like, well, I've got a connection with Omar, and he's coming to me, telling to me, even though I'm out, left out of the vote, he's telling me that he will let me know when my idol is played. You feel at that point like, Wow, a ray of sunshine. There's hope. You know, it's it's not all despair. So yeah. you latch onto that in that moment because you've got nothing else to latch onto, right? Mm-hmm. So it's easy to say, oh, well, I'm watching it to everybody. Oh, she should just uh, talk to other people, whatever. But it's not easy doing it when you're when you're in the game to have that kind of. You know, not everybody has you know 20 allies or in a majority alliance. So when you are in that point, somebody just giving you a reaffirming message or telling you, listen, it's I'll let you know that is massive. And that's why people who can do that successfully ultimately make it deep in the game. And those people who do that, whenever you have to eventually vote out, if you are Omar, eventually vote out Mary Ann, you can just say at the end, like, Mary Ann, there was five people left. I mean, it was either you or me, right? You were were voting, writing my my name down, I voted your name, it is what it is. But don't forget about all these other moments we shared where I had your back. And they're like, yeah, okay, he's right. Boom. Write down his name for a minute. So... It's it's mm-hmm. a great strategy, uh, a social game as well. I mean, I have a little concern from a jury perspective because I feel like people might feel burned by Omar because he is acting like he's connected to everyone and he can't be connected to everyone because some people have to go home. Um, that's what can become tricky when you play this emotional game because I feel like Omar's game is all about like how you make people feel, um, the yeah. influence that he has is in that. Like if you look at it, like he, he votes on the secondary in this vote, like he doesn't need to be like, Voting on the primary, he didn't even need to vote last time. He's not immune this time. Like, it, there's no protection. There's no mechanisms at all. There's not even a vote sometimes. It's literally just on relationships. But that can become tricky when the jury turn around and maybe they're angry about it. Although I do think modern US juries mostly respect and like yeah. and are fine with that. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chompacasino.com 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumpacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I want to compare Oma then to move on to like Mike and Hi, who we can kind of talk about the vote with. They seem to be really driving it. Um, you know, they were really very much in the front seat of the car of the vote. Because um, Oma, as we see, does step back and he's like, I don't care. Mike and Hi care a lot um, in different ways. Mike yes. is like set on it being Chanel. It seems like quite emotional and quite personal. It, it definitely is because it's literally based on <laughs> what we'll talk about, like the yeah. kind of hypocritical vote that was given both ways. It's, um, this, is not, is, this is not strategic. It's strictly personal. That is what. hundred percent. And he, and he basically said that and, and high, you know, he, the, his stuff is strategic against Romeo, which we'll talk about. But even then, like I felt that they were both doing a lot and maybe investing a lot of social capital and getting what it was like kind of an unimportant vote over the line. Like Romeo and Chanel both seem like there'll be issues for them. Like you can definitely have an opinion about it either way, which we will talk about. Like they were both doing a lot to like, which person on the bottom are we going to vote out of the game? So I guess first part, what do you think was the right move of Chanel versus Romeo? And then we can talk about like the ways that they got it done. Are we, from whose perspective are we talking? I guess from Mike and Hai as a duo. Okay. Okay. I yeah, think, I mean, yeah, and, and in general, possibly. I think from Mike's perspective, I think it was the right move because as as much as we like to think of Survivor as a chess game, if it was a chess game, we wouldn't have Dante shouting at people. We wouldn't have people crying. We wouldn't have people saying, oh, I want to give up this to, to make the loved one visit, you know, because it's not a chess game. It is, it's not a, an ultimate min-max function. It is a game of human emotion. So, if you, for whatever reason, start getting fixated um, on uh, with a personal vendetta, in my opinion, if you have a personal vendetta and you can get your vendetta out of a game, then suddenly it's like, okay, the smoke has lifted. I've now got a, it's a clear sunny day. Now I can think again. But if you have a vendetta and you are like, I need, it's, it's either you or me for whatever reason, then it become you can get fixated on that. And if it doesn't go your way, you're like, I want to do it next. I want to do it next. We. We've seen it so many times where people have these fixations and if they don't get him out, if people don't work around with them this round, that you know, the next round and the following one day, they don't make the optimal moves for their game because they are fixated on something. So I think from Mike's perspective, um, I think getting rid of Chanel for him was the best move. What I will say, and I, I really enjoy Mike, I think he's one of the people who's probably, from my perspective, grown the most, you know, as, as, as viewers enjoying him, you know, you start, you start out, you see, okay, it's just this big older guy, but then 
He's building these really cool connections. He's, you know, like I said, he's got the great scene with Omar. He's really like, he's like this dad figure to a lot of people. But I get slightly pissed off as a people, the person who's played this game, where there's a scenario where you vote for me, I vote for you, but mm-hmm. now you're the bad guy because you've written my name down. I'm like, well, you, you did the same mm-hmm. thing, you know? So at tribal, at final tribals, the people are like, oh, you were so, I'm so angry because you, you're coming for me. And then you turn around, but. But you came for me as well, so who was wrong? So in that regard, I don't, I don't, I don't see it as Chanel was wrong and Mike was right. I think they were just they both were clashing for whatever reason. They both wanted to get the other one out. They both written down each other's name. So inevitable, it was a, a, a battle of will and, and and a battle of who could summon the more allies. Mike won the battle. So in that case, I feel say good for him. But I don't feel Chanel was a bad person because she wanted to vote out somebody in the game. I mean. Like Tony said, Adam, that's the rules. We go up there, we write our name, we come back, Jeff reads it, <laughs> the person goes home. That's how it works. So it's not our fault. We didn't design the game. We just play it. So, but yeah, I, I think I think Mike made the right move with, with getting rid of Chanel. Yeah, I mean, you could argue the right move would be not not to fixate to begin with. Yes, sure. um, But once you're fixating, like, he, he gets her out. We'll talk about, like, how much yes. he and I invest into those those plans. I do think... Obviously, we've talked about it. It's really hard not to see how Mike's not like completely hypocritical here. Like they broke apart at the same time due to the unfortunate circumstance that Janelle lost her vote, which was her fault, but it wasn't malicious. It was like this terrible mistake that destroyed almost everyone in its wake at a point. Daniel, Janelle never recovered from that. Jenny goes home with that. Just like really, just it, it's hard to think of a move like one single move, individual move that someone does that could have like that's had like as catastrophic. Repercussions. Yes. The fact that like Daniel and Chanel then go at like the next available tribal councils when they're vulnerable. Wow, there's just no recovery from just like the Shipwell Island decision. I think a lot of people are saying, "Oh, it's such a bad move," and and it's you know she should have you know saved the vote, which I also think is the right move. But I I will just say this: it's this reminds me very much of it reminds me of two votes. It reminds me of the vote. When season eight, Survivor SA, where Anita and Amy went home, where everybody was like, oh, it's such a stupid twist or whatever, she, they could have gone home. But the, the mistake wasn't, the mistake in the game didn't happen on that on, on the Thai business. The mistake happened the week earlier when Anita misplayed his idol. If he had his idol or either played it correctly, you know, with good government numbers or saved it, and then he could have helped himself and Amy. And the a similar game in, in our season when, when they blindsided Sipay, and I was just okay being like, okay, well, the blind side of my close ally, but I'll just keep going down this road. And then three weeks down the line, you're in such a spot because of not, not making that change. So I think Chanel's, I think there's very little she could have done this episode. And I think it's just purely a matter of, uh, there was a time when that she could have taken control of her own game. Um, unfortunately, she didn't do it. And this is just a spillover effect. So it becomes very bad if you lose a lot of momentum early in the game um, and other people gain attraction too. Make that turnaround, mm. and um, yeah, it's just got it just had like you say catastrophic, lasting consequences for her and and her immediate allies for sure. Yeah, like you, it all happened at Chippewa Island. Like the, the, the amount that they lost at Chippewa yes. Island, and then through that afternoon and not getting it back. Like we, I talked about it on that week with Tarot of them like being at the top of the hill with all of the power and then rolling down the hill. I didn't know that they would like continue to roll to this point where like now Chanel's also out of the game and so is Daniel and like that's the end of that chapter and it yeah. just like it never got better but that's yeah. why you you know you have to see the hypocrisy for Mike who they split apart at that point 
Due to circumstance, they don't have the power. They have to go to Hein Lydia. He like wins that interaction. And then the first time they vote, they both split for very similar reasons on each other. And she is the bad guy for that. And she said in exit says like this gender double standard, which I think it's, you know, it's definitely true for women. It's definitely true for women of color. And it's probably also true for Chanel at certain parts of this game. But I want to talk about like the two double standards that she gives, because I feel like there's different parts of that. Like, firstly, she says the the double standard that she's seen is like screwing over Oma and he didn't screw over her. I actually disagree that that's a double standard. I think the precedent we've seen is that if you're going to tribal council, you protect. Like it's happened every time it happened last season. That like that's not a gender thing, I think, at all. I don't even think that that's a double standard. I think that there's like a pretty explicit social contract that many other people, Evie did it, Chan did it, like other players have read about the necessity of the vote. Like that's the difference. Like that's the leverage is like, I'm going to travel council tonight. I need my vote. So I'm willing to offer it to you. So that's why it feels much even- more like she screwed over Omar because Omar did what we expect someone in the position of someone who's not going to tribal to do. The same thing did, the same thing Liana did. Chanel deviated from the clear path of what you do with Chibo. So I don't see that at all as and, a double standard. Like even, she, she's the one who went away. Yeah. She's straight from the path. Yeah. Even in Ghost Island, um, when, um, was it Kelly? No, not Kelly. Um, Kellen, yeah. Kellen, yeah. Yeah, she she also said I'm not playing because not risking a vote because I need it tonight, um, which was at that point in time her game the right move to do. So, uh, yeah, sometimes you have to, you know, sometimes you have to close your eyes and and and, and jump in with both feet and say I'm I'm risking it. But sometimes you have to, you know, evaluate the yeah. situation and that's part of understanding where you fit in. Do you have the numbers? Will it make a difference if you can vote yes or no? Because that is the one thing. You can always do. You can always vote someone out. You might not necessarily win them in a challenge, but you can just write down their name. And mm. I, I, I agree with you. And I don't. I mean, it's a slippery slope. I don't want to go down too much, but I, I don't see that as a as a double standard thing. No, that, I think, yeah. I think it's it's yeah. It's people have people from different races and and and, and genders and whatnot have been in the same situation, and other people yeah. have made different choices, and it worked out in their game. So yeah, it's as simple as that. Yeah, every other person. Whoever went to Shippur Island with Tribal Council that night, protected. So yeah, she deviates from that clear plan. In terms of the double standard with Mike, I again don't know that that's gendered, but it's definitely a double standard, as we're saying. Definitely hypocritical. But I think the double standard that we're seeing here is the double standard of power versus not power. We also see this with Romeo. It's like what's good for the majority is not good for someone who is in the minority. So um, I think it becoming bad in the game, like she committed the sin that Mike did. I don't see that as gendered either. Again, like there's definitely other ways that, you know, this impacts on women and women of color in untellable ways through the game that I think is clear. But in this example, I feel that like he has the room and the agency by being in power to punish her, even in his own hypocrisy. Like she's on the bottom. She doesn't have the space to penalize him for a vote against her. Like she's just trying to stay alive. Like he has the control now to be like, you've done the wrong thing, even if he's wrong in that like personal move, because he, he did the same thing. But I think we see comparisons as well to Romeo, and that's how we see them in the same position with the same kind of double Absolutely, standard. Yeah. His scheming is villainized because he's other. Like, he's not that part of the group. The majority such- members, like, they're allowed to play. But, like, that's the double standard, and I think we see it all the time where it's like, how dare you do this thing that I did, but it's okay that I did it because it's okay that I do anything because I'm in control. So I think that we saw that so much in this episode. <laughs> Listen, Shannon, you do not have to tell me what it's like mm-hmm. if people are coming for yeah. you and you defend yourself well, when you, and then suddenly yeah. you get paid as a bad guy for, for trying to stay in the game. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like maybe you're the poster boy for that. I am, but you're actually yeah. on the cover of that of that point. Yes, you know, like yes. if we were to put, if we were to make a, a dictionary definition of demonize something someone does that yeah, everyone else Wikipedia is doing, picture, probably the, worse. Yeah, the Wikipedia yeah, there's a picture of you. That is the picture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, no, I mean I, and it's you know what's it's one of those things where again people watch this and they say. Oh, this guy is just quitting. He's just rolling over and dying. He's not putting up a fight. And, and, you know, so many people want to be on Survivor, but, uh, this guy's just giving up. Okay. Then when they do fight, they go, Oh, this guy's so paranoid. You know, he's, they're coming for him. He's running around trying to save his life. Guys, you got to vote. So choose one. All right. So you can't fault somebody if, I mean, he's green on the game is correct. He has been on the out of the vote twice. He realizes that his closest ally isn't making eye contact with him anymore, isn't speaking. Mm-hmm. He realizes that, you know, people are, he's excluded from the conversations and people are telling him, like, listen, you are one of the potential names that's being thrown out. What should he do? I mean, you can't fault the guy for then saying, oh, I want to create chaos or I want to start running around and figure out what, what's going on. I mean, that is what you need to do. That is how you play the game. So, um, mm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel for Romeo. I, I don't think he's a bad guy for trying to save his skin. I don't think. And, I mean, different people, you know, some people, uh, you know, like strategize. Some people like to, to, to talk to people. Some people like to spend this time to go look for idol, whatever it is. But now painting him as a as a slippery character or as a as a, a villain or whatever, I, I fully understand the... Um, the emotion that he's feeling and I also think that it's not mm. right. It is, it is a bit double standard for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think calling him paranoid, like implies irrationality. That seems unfair. Like it's a rational feeling. He's feel like it's correct. His read is correct. His awareness is right. I actually thought his awareness was really good. Cause he like knew enough not to play a shot in the dark. So he knows he's not the primary. Cause that would be the move then. But he also like knows well enough that he's not in the group. His vote doesn't matter. So he throws like a spite vote to high, which I'm not saying that's a good move, but I'm just saying like he, he knows the dynamics enough to know that like that's something he can do. I assume in the spite vote because he spelt high like bye. Um, and he wouldn't be doing it to protect against like Chanel shot in the dark because he wouldn't think that like nine people are going to pile on Chanel. Um, so he wouldn't need to do that compared to like the smaller tribes where Chanel thinks maybe she can do that and the votes are going to be piled on her, which even with three people, they didn't do this good against her. So he just knows that he can throw that spite vote. But it's that read and awareness that I think actually makes him dangerous and actually why I think from a majority perspective, Mike's got his own stuff, but I think for the whole majority, like I would take out Romeo and probably as much of a muchness, but like he is aware. Like paranoia is a very unfair word to use for that because again, it's not irrational. But there's other yeah. parts of that that are like synonymous with with what he's doing. Um, paranoia, not the word, but maybe like there's definitely chaos no, I, feels yeah. right. Um, like the hustle, the the fact that like the awareness, like the fact that he knows the inroads he's trying to make. Like he at least like has like a relationship with Toy to like get this information. Like Chanel seemed completely on her own or like very dependent on High, who's not working with her. I think Romeo has more strategic acumen something he could maybe do um, that I think makes him a better target. And it's actually ironic because I said that I thought they should have voted out Chanel over Daniel because she was self-interested enough to split, but Daniel's was going along with the group and trying to work with them. This time Chanel's just trying to work with them. And Romeo throws a spite vote, which to me is like, okay, well, he's got some fight in him that he's like really trying to work against you. And maybe at a point to gain the capital, maybe to actually do it. Maybe next week when they split into different teams, like if he has the numbers, like he seems more aware or at least with more relationships that he could maybe do that. 
So he's more dangerous. So I think for the group, like that actually shows how much they should have gone with Romeo, but it's not a paranoia thing. It's like the actual active things that he's doing within that that are based on correct reads. And that's why it's fair. Yeah. And I, I just want to say two things about this specific uh, interaction between Romeo and Jaya. Firstly, on the, on, on Romeo's side, if I can, if I ever play Survivor again, the biggest thing I will change, not the biggest thing I will change, but whenever there is a vote and I thought it was going one way because that's what my alliance for the majority was doing and it goes another way, like the votes get, the vote gets read, the people are out. I'm like, okay, I'm taking my torch, I'm staying up. I'm like, I'm done with this. New people, new plan, let's go. I'm not rolling with it again because I made that mistake the first time. So as soon as you are out of a loop, do you need to seriously reevaluate? And that's why I think a lot of people in our season lost because they were out of the the, 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 the loop, but they just like, okay, well, uh, I'm just going to keep going with this. Instead of saying, well, I'm drawing a line in the sand, doing the uh, small, the, uh, the loose change alliance and gathering all the people and say, well, Let's try and make resistance because we don't think we're going to lose anyway, right? That's that's the first thing. So as, as soon as you're in that position, I think you need to, like, you need to do a 180 and get other people on, on, on your side. What I will say is with Drea saying, you know, Romeo has become paranoid and you used the word um, of perhaps rational. I think this, this move also reminds me very much of the opening uh, of the pilot for season eight when the meter was like, he's working with Jason, but he was like, this guy is so paranoid. Like, I would rather have predictability in my enemies than unpredictability in my allies. So, you know, vote him out. So I can fully understand Drea being like, I had worked with Romeo, but he's now become an unpredictable part, which I don't want to manage. Um, it's not good for my game to manage unpredictable people. So even though you are potentially aligned with me, I'd rather be aligned with a predictable enemy than with an unpredictable ally. So I I don't fault her for, 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 for cutting ties with Romeo. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how Romeo possibly could have picked up and why he would be paranoid when Dre is things are tr- saying things at Tribal Council that are like, vaguely speaking, I, I had an ally 16 days ago. We worked really well together, but sometimes they end up not being good for your game. She was speaking like so specifically about their relationship that yeah. she was talking like in like blanket terms, which I thought was funny. But I think what's hard as well is like the, the paranoia thing is chicken or the egg. Like we said last week that we speculated, okay, maybe he's just not in because they're not vibing with him. Cause even he had a comment of being like, when he was vulnerable before the results were switched by the hourglass, he said he'd been like really nervous. Like if, if he's even speaking to it, like he kind of knows maybe the vibes that he was giving off. And it can just take one or two days of like intense socializing when everyone's meeting and you're putting people off to just not be with the group. Like Drea can't tie herself to that sinking ship when, if no one else wants to work with him, like that's their prerogative at that point, but then it compounds, yeah. you know, like then like those nerves, okay, now you're not in, but now you know you're not in. Okay. Well now it's getting worse. And, and now like you have like the paranoid edit where like maybe you were for a bit, but you were going to come back, but now you're actually on the outs and you're reading it and you're correct. And we definitely saw, um, you know, and in, in the latest Australian survivor, there was stuff about like being paranoid when like they were also trying to make Sam paranoid. Um, and then they were complaining that she was paranoid and exactly, she had every yeah. reason to be paranoid. And she had like, so many things to be fearful of. Um, and then people complain about it. But then as well, we said, like, it matters how you make people feel. And I think Romeo can probably wear parts of that, considering he spoke to it about how nervous he was in those first couple of days. So I think, like, all of these things can coexist. Um, tough spot for him. Maybe just, like, 
really not socially connecting in a fast moving game of those first couple of days of the non-merge merge when other people were coming together with like real connections. We'd see like Rox, Roy, Jonathan, Mike, like they're like the good solid guy thing. Um, and they've connected in that way, again, like way beyond where it seems a lot of these initial tribes connected because they were all such a mess and he just did not vibe with them. And now he's other and he's demonized and that's a really, really hard spot for him to get out of. But I wanted to talk about, cause you, you mentioned like, they should draw a line in the sand. I think coming back, it was interesting to me how much Chanel and Romeo were like mad at Drea and high or at high and Drea respectively. Um, because I feel like, okay, maybe draw a line in the sand, but I feel like they kind of had no leg to stand on. I mean, they, they do actually have a leg to stand on to be mad that they were left out of the vote by both of them. But I think you have to come in hat in hand, even though it's so unfair they're coming in and they're so mad. Like, Drea and I don't even care enough to give them good excuses. Like, they're deflecting. Oh, I thought my oh, you yeah, were burning it's... camp. But, like, at the end of the day, they're like, let's just, like, get this conversation over. Go to bed. One of you's going next. Like, we're the ones that are in power. And maybe they, like, Omar should be reaching more across the aisle and, and, and definitely, <laughs> like, cutting off social avenues is never good. But they still have way more leverage than Chanel and Romeo who are coming in there angry. Like, I think in a perfect world, even if you want to turn against them, even just to blindside them or have them think that you're with them, or to try and connect with them. Like if you can't get a minority group together, which they can't, you want to be in as good as you can. Like I think in a perfect world, you want to come in and say like, clearly I wasn't on the vote. I don't know what happened. It was a misunderstanding. I hope I showed how much I want to work with you. Like I voted the way you told me to vote. And I hopefully, like I really appreciate it to be included in the future. Like, yes, that's a pathetic thing to have to do and you've been left out. And they have every right to be angry, but they also socially shouldn't be angry. And then they can work from there and see what options they have. But as much as you want to draw a line in the sand, I don't think you want that to be obvious like I think you want to be coming in hat in hand so yeah I think that it it was a hard one from the beginning of the episode from Chanel and Romeo like right off the bat yeah like that conversation that uh that Romeo had with with Hi it's it's like a sad conversation that I had with Rob the night after CPV and I'm like what what happened like no, we didn't mm-hmm. have time to tell you. Yeah. Like, we sat, we had a whole day of sitting around cooking and you didn't, couldn't tell me. Yeah. But, uh, mm-hmm. So it's such a, I'm like, no, but, uh, so, I mean, like I said, I, I, I've, I've heard, I've heard that conversation. I've heard that line. It does not bode well for your game, mm. but, but you're right. I think, and even though, I mean, they don't even have to form a majority. They can just, they can both just get like a plurality. I mean, if, if, if Tori, didn't know who she was voting for. If uh, Mary Ann didn't know who she was voting for, if Chanel didn't know, and uh, Romeo, that's four people out of the remaining 11. I'm like, okay, well, the four of us were all lied to by what's happening. So we can just create this pocket. If we lose, we lose. But at least, at least the four of us tried because Tori, obviously, she knows she's about nobody, nobody likes her. It's either Chanel, Romeo, like, why? If, if they're coming for either one of us, why don't we unite and go against them? And it's something we've seen. So many times we've seen it on season seven of Survivors SA. We've seen it again this time on um, the the latest US Survivor, uh, um, Australian Survivor. They're similar where there's this big, not big, but there's a bigger group, and the small people can say, "Well, we're four people. We've got one idol. You want to go? Let's go." I mean, if you lose, you lose. But if you don't make the move, you lose anyway. That's always my 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 approach of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think they had a window, but I don't know what happened between Chanel and and. Romeo that they couldn't reconcile or, or connect the yeah. um, align their games, but yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, a lot of the times when we see these like minorities not try to work together against a big group, it's just like 
the unseen good things that the majority is doing. I think we missed a lot of that in Australian Survivor where we didn't see like the relationships that like Josh had with Shay, for example, where she really felt like she was in with the majority. Um, so they're not going to work together because they actually feel closer to members of the majority than they do with each other. And I think that's probably true of this group. Obviously, the majority is not splitting in ways where they could even come over the top with a split. Um, if they got enough information, like, yes, like maybe Marianne's idol could be shared around, but they're not connecting to each other. Like Marianne's connected to Omar, mm-hmm. Chanel's been connected to High. So that's like a good thing that they're doing. And they're also blindsiding people. Like Chanel doesn't play a shot in the dark. Yeah, so shot in the dark. it's also just the subterfuge. But it's interesting what you say. Like, I've, I've heard that line of, oh, we just didn't have time. Are you aware of the concept? He's just not that into you. Um, <laughs> you know, it was a movie started on Sex in the City, which Miranda came up with in Sex in the City, which is basically like the lines that men will tell women uh, in which they're like, oh, I don't have time to come up after the date because I'm working tomorrow. I've got like work early. And Miranda was basically saying like, if he's into you, like he's coming upstairs or he's going to text you back. Or I just didn't have time. Sorry, my day's been so busy. Like the point of he's just not that into you, which I think is strategically relevant, is that is. Um, is. like if they want to, they will. Like if they wanted to tell you, they'd have found the that's, time. I feel like that's key yeah. to these minority members. Like, oh, you just weren't at the right time at camp. Like if they wanted you to know, you'd know. He's just the, the alliance, just not that into you. I think that's Absolutely. really important. Like I think that's strategically Absolutely. relevant. <laughs> Absolutely. No, for sure. Um, yeah. Like I said, it's, it's a story that I've heard. I mm-hmm. Flashbacks, I'm like, well, dude, you are in some serious hot water if this is the yeah. position you're in. Trust me, yeah. been there, prognosis, long-term prognosis, not good. Yeah, dead on arrival. Like, I feel that for Romeo, such an unfortunate fall from grace. Like, we were speculating about things. Last week, they got, like, immediately answered. I feel like Romeo, like, we said, oh, maybe, like, he and Dre are working together, like, on the side. Like, no, like, she's out. And, like, to really control so much of Ika and then to it devolve to the point that it has so quickly, it's it's hard to watch. Um, And I do think he should have been the target here. And at at least he wasn't, but I don't know how much of that is on him. It actually seemed like he was going to play himself out of the game at a point. Um, And it really was, like, the Mike and Chanel thing. Uh, But I do think he should have been the vote. And I think for both High and Mike, I mean, I have to credit Mike's amazing social game every week. You can see, like, the active social game. He Like, he's, he said, yeah, I'm curious. Sure. He's curious about people. He uses that to connect. Like, it's a social game that, that deserves more than, than, than the 40s. As one. Like, he would be an amazing old school player, particularly in seasons or even Australian Survivor, where, like, that socialness is paramount. Um, so I want to credit that. But I do think, like, you know, high has Chanel. Like, Chanel's relying on high, who's with Mike to a degree. I feel like it's all very one-sided coming from Mike, um, you know, like how, how upset he is about it. So like maybe it's better for Mike, but like for his alliance with High, I don't know that Chanel is a better vote. For the majority, I don't think that Chanel is a better vote. And he's like really going out of his way to take her out on this like personal grievance. And then like High switching to Romeo. Again, I, I like that move. Like I think that's the right instinct. But I think like all the reasons he gives while they are legitimate, like he should have done that earlier on. Like, Romeo bringing chaos is is totally fair, but like at that point it's too late. Like there's thirty minutes left. It feels like this is like a very stressful vote. Like I don't know that the distinction between Chanel and Romeo necessitated like how much work I and Mike both seem to put seem to be putting into this compared to like someone like Omar who's just like yeah whatever. Um, so I don't know that I like really back either of the way that they were going about it. And I wanted to ask you as well, where do you feel like Roxroy fits into this? Because we got like little parts of it, but they're like, oh, we don't want to put off Roxroy, like he's obviously an old school player. They've already told him Chanel. I wonder if like Roxroy, is he like trying to protect Romeo to a degree with that Ika connection? I'm not sure, but I feel like Roxroy 
is more imperative to this than than you would think Rolls Roy would be. Like it, it seems pretty clear that he did vote incorrectly last week because he's like clearly part of the majority. Um, he voted for Lindsay, who's in the majority. Like it really starts to feel like he just made the mistake, and he's like in this group. Uh, it seems like in somewhat of an integral way. I I will say the following. Um, we've spoken a lot about uh, all the people. The Vati tribe, the original Vati and the, the, the green people, they've only got two people left, Hi yeah. and Mike. Mm-hmm. And what often happens in Survivor is you want to try to at least keep like some kind of an equilibrium between, you know, the different tribes or the different alliances or whatever. So I don't foresee Hi or Mike being, obviously, I don't foresee them being in trouble mm-hmm. because I think the majority will say, okay, well, we need to at least now either consider this, this orange um, faction between, you know, Jonathan, Lindsay mm-hmm. and Omar, who, who might be gaining some traction. And on the other side, you know, Tori is also a bit of an enemy uh, to, to, to Roxroy, so they've got the tension there. So I, I can I anticipate that it'll be, like I said, depending on how, how this tribal council plays out or what the format is for the double elimination, I think there are going to be people who is slowly but surely going to turn inwards. Um, and I think, with that being said, we've seen Romeo being um, on his own. We've seen Dre with all the ammunition trying to say, well, I just want to stay out of a conflict as long as possible. Tori is a, is a wild card. So I can think that Roxroy might just be by the, the default blue if they need to, you know, make a decision to vote mm. out them and one of them. That is my, I mean, my, my, my instincts or my sense of the game. If I was in the game, that's something I would be concerned about. Um, and I think he, he might just be the, um, because I don't think if, if, if his name is on the block or it, he realizes the target's coming to him. I don't, A, think he's got the social skills to try and, 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 and move it around. And B, I don't think he would have, he doesn't have any ammunition or tools except for winning the, the immunity necklace to essentially keep himself in the game and, and try to create uh, chaos. So I don't think he's played himself into a strong enough position to, if it's a small mm. pocket of people and they decide to target him, that he can swap that to somebody else. Yeah, I mean, he definitely can't. Like, we definitely see, like, even in the background, the missteps of this episode is so funny to me. Like, you know, I love the Rock's Tory dynamic. Um, and, like, we didn't even get to see them talk, but it just was hilarious to me that in his old school way, he told Tory it's a plan. I thought it might come back on him in this episode that, like, Rock's Tory said that because, like, he's going to give the plan yes, and, like, not have point. the subtleness. And then for Tory to, like, yeah. for her to immediately sell him out and tell Romeo yeah. it's very much like the, the scorpion and the frog between the two of them. I'm like, why would you even tell Tory that of all people? Like, you wouldn't tell Tori anything. Really confused about how that even happened. But I think like he could be part of what we see maybe next week. Like it's gonna be a guys alliance. And if that happens, then we have to have the conversation again about guys alliances. I may quit. <laughs> this might be my last <laughs> podcast. But I think that like there's a solid guys thing with Mike and Jonathan, and like Mike and High, I think, are the nexus of a lot of power, even if I don't agree with like how much they were doing in this episode. Like they're they're central, Jonathan's in with that. Like I think Rocks could default become part of that. Um, just because I don't know that he's going to become like a clear target and he's also not on the out. So definitely some really interesting dynamics with that. Um, what do you, what do you feel of Mike generally? Like, I know you like the move, but what are you thinking about like where he's sitting in in the tribe? I think Mike has played an exceptional game. Um, I think it's always difficult coming in, being the older person, being 
you're not necessarily as super athletic to be able to, to, to win challenges. And I think he has connected really well with people. Um, it, it reminds me, I haven't seen, oh, I can't remember. I think it was perhaps Tony's deep dive, Tony Vlachos after Winners of War, when he said, like, he doesn't know anything about sport. He doesn't know anything about being, you know, young and all these kids. But mm. one thing he knows is is being able to chat to people about their families and just being able to connect with them on a human level. And that's all he did. He just kept speaking to people and having these conversations about their private lives, about the kids at home and what's happening. And if you win the money, what are you going to do? You know, just those, like, normal everyday today stuff and connecting on a personal level. And that is an extremely disarming move if you if that is the perception you have because obviously it takes time to build those relationships with people and Mike has done exactly that we've seen him so many times have these conversations with people about you know religion or growing up or their families and and we've heard people saying like Mike is the, the, the big father figure in the group so if you have that kind of relationship and now suddenly you know there's rumors of this guy might have an idol or that guy might have an advantage or there's an underground thing or people are I don't know, wait, that's the last person you're like, oh, well, you know what, I would just, let's just throw it out the window and vote, throw it out Mike tonight. That's not going to be the first instinct that comes up in your mind, you know? So mm-hmm. if you have that if you have that connection with the people, you need to get all the way to the end, or you can get it to the end. The only potential problem with that is, and this is, depends on, on how Mike handles, you know, these next couple of votes, is you can get to the end in a way that uh, Chrissy got to be in the recent Australian survival, where it's like, yeah, sure, we all had a nice chat about our kids, but what did you do in the game? Um, and mm-hmm. I think um, that might be – so if he can do that and sit at the end and say, well, these are all the great moves I made at the right time, instead of just saying, well, I was a fun guy to be around, but I didn't really, you know, had an impact on the game, I think that's his big, his big um, you know, the hurdle mm-hmm. he has to cross. But um, – no, I, I think he's, he's in an excellent spot. Much better so than somebody like Roxroy, who at times I feel like, you know, he's struggling to see the wood from the trees, you know. He can get into his all like trivial fights with people. I think Mike is, is much better at, at understanding people and connecting with them on a human level, for sure. Yeah, like Roxroy, I don't think is, is seen as a threat. And I could, you could almost pencil him in for the end unless he like loses a fire. But I just don't, I don't, for me, I don't, I don't see it as a winning game, obviously, but I don't see when you would take him out. Um, cause he's not yes. just like a buffer vote of the people on the outs and he's never going to be a threat. Um, for all the reasons that Mike should be a threat, because I think he is so social. He is so liked. I think he does have a strong winner chance. And I think, I think that he could point to strategy. Like if he drove home this vote, sorry if I keep saying drive home, but we're in a car. Um, <laughs> and you know, the way that he even like bounces back from the Jenny vote by being with high, like I think that it's not just social, like he's amazing socially, but it's also the social strategy. And I think that he could point to that. Um, you know, whether the jury feels again in an Oma way, like hard done by because it was so connected socially and it was personal and it was like, you know, this emotional thing. And that's probably why he he reacts to the Chanel thing. Not that it's not hypocritical, but like he invests in people socially. So if he gets burnt by it, it hurts. And in the same way, they might feel burnt by him. So it's definitely an interesting thing um, where I think there's extreme winner potential, but I think also they should start looking at him like he's a threat because he's sitting in a very good spot. I want to ask you about the negotiation before we move on to the Chizzy. Uh, the uh, negotiations. Oh, yes. Okay. What do you what think about, um, what do you think about this? Did Jeff win this negotiation? Are we enjoying the now twice used rice negotiation of people sitting out of a challenge for this? I will say this. As a, as a player, it's always fun to negotiate with, with the host or, or try to, you know, 
um, mm-hmm. have those interactions. I think Nico is not always that keen on it with um, one supply. So I was, I think, on the one endurance challenge, I was like, Nico, okay, it's like it's been two hours. It's five of us left. You bring us some water, and I'll step, I'll step down. And it's like, just goes, no, I don't know. Missed an opportunity for to make some, 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 a bit of a TV moment. Um, but no, I, I always enjoy it when there's like a bit of back and forth. And, and also I, I like it because whenever there's a setup challenge, wherever it's like this instance where you have to, you know, set up for greater good of the tribe or for, you know, personal reward, like, you know, setting up food or whatever, I think it, it also sends a message to the people who's left in the game. Like, okay, well, these are the people who's willing to compete. These are the people who think they're in a good spot. Um, so I, I like it when things like that happen because it's a, it's almost like it's a very great non-verbal communication, essentially, where you can, you know, say where you feel you are in mm. the game without saying where you're feeling you are in the game. Um, so, so that's great. Um, the only thing that's, that, that's always, that I'm always concerned about is there is, it's obviously, it's, it's a high risk play because you, you know, potentially risk, um, you know, being able to, to compete in a challenge. Um, but at the same time, you also need to look at the challenge and think, do I realistically have it on to win against the other thing? Um, some people are always competing saying, oh, I need to do this because I need to show my family that I'm competing. And then, and then I go like in two minutes, I'm like, okay, but you could have had food. Why? What, what, what point are you trying to prove? Um, but we've also seen it backfire. I mean, you think back, I think it was, was it Brenda in France's favorites? We, she gave up the love visit so that everybody could mm-hmm. see their families on the boat and then they vote her out the next time, you know, the next night, because mm-hmm. that's just, if you circle that at the end, you'd an immediate win. So people see that as a, as, as a massive, you know, threatening move. Uh, even though it might just be a humane interaction, not necessarily a, a gameplay move. So, yeah, there is downside. And I actually, this is something that I've spoken about, not a lot, but there is a bit of an unwritten rule within the game of survival with regards to everybody needs to essentially contribute to the camp life. Everybody needs to help build the shelter because it's very easy to not do that and spend all your energy only to win the game or win the challenges, but you never contribute to camp life. Um, I think you also lose the respect of the players. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. I think in our season, like a guy like Durao, I think not necessarily because of the way he played, but there were lots of times when it was raining or we built a shelter or, and Durao would just sit there doing nothing. And I think it loses people's respect. So if you don't, if you're not, if you don't go out and hunt and go out and contribute, um, it, you know, it, 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 it breaks the overall impression of what people have on you. You know, it, it definitely, you know, brings that down. So if you make a move like this, you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do that for the tribe. I think it, once again, people are like, okay, well, this guy, you know, he's a, he will at least so much like that quote unquote contribute to camp life kind of perception that you build. If you pull a stunt like this. Um, yeah. I, I, I just feel like if I was there, I was there and we had negotiations and Jeff said, okay, we are down for four, four people are in that's it. And I'm one of the final four. I would say, Jeff, if we give you four, can the four of us then still get our own individual? Because he was saying you get an individual like in the, like a, a cup mm-hmm. size, you know? I'd be like, okay, Jeff, well, you've gotten your four. Can we at least then get that for ourselves? You know, for every negotiation back to Jeff, you've got nothing to lose. Maybe they did. But I feel like Jeff, they got a number they missed off. But I would have just been like, okay, well, now we've got something. Can we get something more? I would have like, you know, foot on the gas. No pun intended on the on the comment, of course, but like I would be driving that negotiation. 
all the way to the end until there's no juice mm-hmm. to squeeze. And they were like, okay, well, okay, you know, let's let's give up. But um, no, it was it was cool, and I always enjoyed. I know some of the, some of the people think it's gimmicky, and you know, they don't like Jeff breaking the fourth wall, speaking to the camera. Okay, um, you know, telling us what he's what he's planning. But um, I think it was cool. I think it was cool. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of crazy that Jeff would sp- take take time out of this episode to talk to future players to like threaten them for a future appreciation. <laughs> like, I didn't have that much time, Jeff. Like, you're talking to like what, like twenty future people, twenty how many seasons I'm gonna do it? You know, eighteen, thirty six. I don't know, but okay, you, you like took the time to do that. I actually will tell the future players right now how to win this negotiation because. Like what you're saying, okay, I would try to take everything out. Jeff actually has less leverage here. Like, I know that the players really, really want food, but like Jeff really, really wants it to be a good TV moment. So I think the players have like a lot of leverage here. All you have to do is George Costanza it, right? Famous Seinfeld thing. George says, yeah. if you want to act like you're really busy at work, just act really annoyed all the time. So like if people walk past your office and you're like, oh, they're like, wow, that guy's like clearly invested in some sort of problem that he's dealing with. And I think that's that that principle applies here. Like if you just act like it's really, really hard, like if four people put their hands up, like, yeah, I'll sit out. Then he's then he wants five or six. But it's because three people are like, yeah, I'll do it. And they have to like fight and Marion has to cry for the last one that Jeff is happy with four. So if two people next time put up their hand like oh, yeah, that's fine. And then they all have to, like, get in the huddle for the third and this person's like, oh, I'll do it. And Omar has his emotional moment. Then Jeff will accept three. Like, just give him the moment, the TV moment that he wants. I mean, we we like seeing the players get decisions. So I like that part of it. I'm always happy yes. to see, you know, when it's more like, I'm bringing out nachos. Like, I love that kind of classy part of Survivor. I love but, it. You know, I, I find it. that really fun. But I think, like, the 40s are meant to be like, we're not having fun. We're not getting nachos. Like, you get your, you know, bad PB. No, the monster will never give you a treat. What yeah, kind of monster exactly. are your scary movies? <laughs> Whereas, like, I enjoy watching the players, like, get a fun auction or whatever, like, when they've been deprived of things. That's meant to be a p- fun part of Survivor. But this is, we're going to have, like, a very dry negotiation about this. And I guess that's more fun TV because they're <laughs> suffering more. But anyway, still like watching them get decisions, especially because I feel like this decision, as you're saying, like we do see into into the players, we see into every single player. Like Omar, so clear to his game, those social connections, doing it for Marianne, connecting across the aisle for her. Lindsay, she's the first one to say it. She's she explicitly says there are people here who haven't eaten. She makes it external. She's such a social player in that way versus Drea's I need to eat. That comparison is so funny to me. And she's not even going to pretend that this is a social move. Like she really wants the rice, but I really, really loved it for Marianne. Cause as you're saying, we do sometimes see it go badly. We see people give things up and then get voted out. And I think that's actually more dangerous for people who are in power. Drea has a lot of protection, but say, say like, okay. Oh, actually Drea is vulnerable right now. She's actually has not competed in an individual challenge yet. She's a strong player. She might start winning. Maybe if they want to flip things, they will vote Dre out, even though she's given stuff up. Like maybe if we're really doing like a whole big flip move versus Marianne, who's already on the bottom. No one's doing a big move to get her out. Like she would just be the name of several names who are not in power. She knows that her name's not going to be in contention when there are other options on the bottom to get rid of who didn't sacrifice today. So then like we have heard her name. We kind of hear it a bit after, but like, her name really wasn't as much in the mix, it seems, anyway. Um, it was really like Tori, Chanel, and Romeo. But 
she really becomes like a non-factor to the vote because she sacrificed. So it's that implicit immunity. She says in a secret scene that she needs immunity, but she's bad at balance. Here's a way to get immunity without having to balance. They're not going to vote out when she sacrificed because why? It's not a big move. It's not a flip. And there are many other options, even with Tory winning immunity, who are people on the bottom who can go home. So to eke out that implicit immunity and save her trinkets for another round, I thought that was a great move from Marianne. And it's again what we speak to of making these small moves that you can on the bottom these good social reads, her own self-awareness, like, you know, really hyping up that emotionality because she's so aware of herself um, and really just, yeah, utilizing that, which I think was really, really cool. And I think worked as a social strategic move. So I, I love this move for her. And I do like when the show gives players the opportunity to make decisions that we can then analyze, um, yes. even when it's just a strange negotiation that Jeff is yeah, continuing to hammer home. But I, I really like this move for Marianne. Yeah, I, I liked it. Like, like you, I was going to say, we can analyze it. I think as, as, as soon as you have to analyze something or think about it on your commute or while you're jogging, if you think like, Should I, who else would have done it? Should would I ever mm-hmm. do it? Then, you, then you've created a great moment because then it, you know, it, it keeps the viewers like engaged. And, and, and you know, like I say, it, 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 it implies a lot and indicates a lot without necessarily, you know, mm. It's a show-don't-tell kind of concept where, you know, you show your intentions in the game when you, when you make a movie like that. And so I enjoy it always. I love it. Yeah. Should we start rewarding some of these moves, Chizzy? Can I? Oh, I've got one last thing that I want to discuss before we do Chizzy. If, if we may, mm-hmm. if we may yes. uh, just push that out for, for a short while. I want to chat to you about two things, if we may. I've lost things in my I've notes. Second to last one, I'll save the best for last. Um, I see that written here as well. Oh, okay. This is not what I was talking about. I'm just reading here. Was this the first time we've heard the word calculus used in an episode of Survivor? It is not something I would have ever predicted. Not in a million years. What a, what a great confessional from Mike saying, I'm not a brain surgeon. I don't know calculus, but I'm street spot. I was just blown away. And I got like four people tweeting me like, did you see how nerdy these guys are talking about calculus on Survivor? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's just, uh, that, that it's something I don't think we I've, I've ever seen or would have expected. Okay, but that's not my point. My point, now that I've got my notes all sorted out. Shannon, what do you think of Drea having to be caught red-handed trying to get an advantage next mm-hmm. to the water well? Yeah, I'm I was going to get to this in the questions because we got a lot uh, of okay, back said, well, we'll do it now. He said, who wore better yeah. jocks in the purple paint or Drea in the red paint? Mike, blue mask, we need jocks. Tips on how Drea could have gotten... Uh, rid of that paint. I love the paint stuff. It was very Macbeth, something we've spoken about a lot on the podcast recently, to the point where she was like, I need to get this red stuff off. I'm like, actually, the line is out damn spot, Drea, but you know, you're the, I get that you're modernizing it. That's great. Um, I thought this was really fun. Like, I thought it was fun to put it by the well, which is a place where she's not doomed. Like, she can wash it off, but she's also scared she doesn't do it perfectly. Like, that's the exact thing they want. They don't want to come back, like, covered in red paint like she's in the Carrie movie, but they want her to not be able to fully wash it off because she's scared that she's going to get caught and one person sees it and now like Tori has this thing over her, which is, yeah, perfect. Literally, they they couldn't have scripted it better for Tori of all people to have that information. So I think that it worked really well and I think that the exploding ink idea of advantages has been something that people have kind of thought about as a good idea for a while. And like, look, season 42 in the 40s, it's silly. You know, it's a it's a silly game. It is, but we we are embracing it, and I think this really worked as a mechanism of beware. Absolutely, absolutely. I I love it. I think it is such a fascinating because I mean, how many how many ways can you penalize people that, that 
still in the game. You can take away their vote. I mean, that's something that's been done too. You know, if you want to do this, you can't vote. I mean, that's what Immunity Island was all about mm. in season eight. Uh, so I think it's difficult for producers to come up with a way to, to have a kind of a, because I always feel if there's an advantage, there should be a trade-off, right? Or some kind of a risk that you have to take. I'm, I'm, I love it. Like I'm almost feel like there should no, there should be no free meal in survival. If you want like an advantage, there's something you should get up. So this is such a brilliant thing that they've done now. Um, so I, I love that. I just feel, and maybe this is just me, maybe I think probably the only person who would potentially agree with me is somebody like Anela or Chappies, but I think that she missed an opportunity to use that to send people on a goose chase. I mean, she has access to that red paint. The thing is there. I mean, that like whatever like steel cylinder that they sunk in the ground, it's going to be there, right? Or maybe they'll take it out later on some trip or, mm-hmm. night or whatever, but she could have now taken a paintbrush or somewhere or and pointed an arrow to that thing somewhere, like left a clue with it, and put like a fake idol with a fake note or whatever in there and like completely add like added another like what the hell is going on, you know, moment to the game. And she absolutely missed it, like, okay, well I got it, cover my text, okay, bye, I'm out of here, you know, two you know, that are the end. Um I would have definitely, definitely considered ways to either con people directly that they know it's me or indirectly, you know, left some kind of a, a, a landmine there and, and see, you know, drop a bit of bait and see, you know, what fish you can catch with a stunt like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think like in her archetype of playing, like creating fake idols is definitely part of that. Um, because again, like that, that could be antisocial, but it's fun and it's big and it's advantage based. So that should work with like the, the framework that she has. But I also think like the nervousness when you have pain on your arm and you're just trying to escape, like she couldn't even properly clean it off. Like her time was spent trying to clean it. So yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a really, really fun one. That was really and fun. I mean, I don't know what strange. type of, also strange. Yeah. I don't know what type yeah. of pain that, the pain that we had was, um, like I, I think it was like, Twelve year guarantee roof paint that they put on mm-hmm, us, yeah. and also um, I think it's the difference between washing off your arm versus washing it off from a you know thick piece of hair. But um, no, it, it was it was it was it was great. It was great. Um, I, I you are so ahead of the curve. Like if you ever came apart, you know, across a paint advantage, and then you were covered in paint, you were already covered in paint because you covered yourself in paint. So there exactly. you go. Like you've, you've already protected against it before. That's the solution to this. Like, oh, how do I deal with possible paint? You wear advantages in the future. Just be covered in paint to begin with. That's what you do. Look, I, I'm going to tell you something. This is uh, mega hearsay, but it's something I want to mention to you. When, um, obviously, I told you I, know, I knew the need from, from the A season. And I, I started uh, talking to some of the people from the A season, just like, you know, building relationships and friendship, whatever, something near and near those kind of people. And I think when that episode happened in season eight, where they had to also, you know, do the pain thing, mm-hmm. and and I think half the cost, maybe more, of them like send me messages, like either they, like what's up there, or they phoned me, or they like you do not understand what happened. We had to do this pain challenge, and then Larue comes up and he's like, "Okay, guys, listen to me. This is not going to be the same fiasco we had last season. Nobody's going to do a jog and throw the shit in the air. You take it." <laughs> put it on your on your clothes. You put your hand in your pocket. That's it. Are we all in agreement? I don't want any fun, monkey business. I want nothing. So a lot of I got I like I, so many people told me that um, like so yeah. You want to leave a legacy. Uh, if you want to leave a legacy, make sure that producers uh, warn people about you know doing the antics that you did um, from a from a TV. Yeah. Business. 
perspective. So yeah, there's a yeah. bit of a, a behind the scenes tidbit. Um, yeah, and then I don't know. It was it's, it's one last thing. I don't know if we have time, Shane. I want to chat to you about the shot in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to hear what's your opinion on it. I don't think I've ever spoken to you about shot in the dark in detail. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it's fine. Like, I, I, it's probably one of the things I feel most neutral about where I appreciate that it gives people a chance, but they need like the perfect read to do it. And it's only one in six, so they don't have much of a chance um, versus the fact that it means people have to blindside better. I think it should stay at one at six because I don't want it to be more impactful. Like people are saying, well, it's, it's not working because it's not hitting yet, yeah, but it's giving them a, a shot. That's meant to be the point. Like it's working when they have a chance. That to me is the effectiveness of shot in the dark. It's not working, you know, only if it ever hits. So I think it's fine on one and six. Seems like a small thing and it's something that people have to play around. I mean, the, the biggest success of shot in the dark is that Chanel threw her vote to protect against shot in the dark and Mike could not get past that. Like those are the social ramifications that make mechanisms in the game interesting. So that to me is fascinating. So even if you say it hasn't hit, okay, but it's it's been impactful in other ways and that to me is is just as interesting and not more interesting than just like a one in six charts coming off. Yeah. Okay. Can I like I this is now a, a US thing, so we we can't repurpose it. I can't find it about this, but I have a I have a better implementation of Shot in the Dark. Can I pitch this to you and then we, we wrap the soundbar and send it directly to to Jeff and and, and uh Mm-hmm. My direct uh, line. People who work yeah. at, at, at CBS, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because we always, we see two things happen. We see on one side fans complaining about being deep in the game and there's a bagonging and, you know, if you're in a minority, you don't always have a way to, 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 to bail yourself out and then they say the show gets boring. That's the one side which always comes up season after season. And on the second side, you have people who have a lot, it's been like one of these things that people have proposed for many years saying everybody should start the game with an idol. You know, everybody should start the game with this one thing, okay? Mm-hmm. And then either the, you know, maybe it's like a like a um, like a coin they had in 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 Winners of War, or maybe they have like some kind of two idols you bring. And so it's something that I know people have spoken about a lot when going on this one. Okay. I say you bring Shotty Madoc in, and you say the game begins. Everybody gets this dice, whatever you want to call it, uh, trinket, Shotty Madoc thingy, but. Instead of one in six, you can start, and this can vary from season to season, but let's just say it starts at one in eight, okay? It starts at one in eight. If somebody plays a shot in the dock, one in eight chance, if they fail and the, go, the guy goes home, the next instance, it's one in seven, and then mm-hmm. one in six, and one in five. So it has this, like, appreciating odds of the, when it will actually happen, right? So it's not like it, – and so deeper into the game, and then it becomes, like, one in two or – X amount of people who, who play the you know, final one. So let's say five people play it and it's one in two, then, you know, they'll like draw rocks, like one in five, which, whichever gets it, you know. So it's one in two or X, whatever amount of people play it. I think, and then once it hits, it's done. It's retired. It's end of the season, done. It's gone. You go home. Because I think a lot of time people, they know they'll be out. They might as well try it. You know, one in eight is not going to hit, but it's slowly going to, you know, bring it down. To a point where, like, I mean, now it's probably going to happen, and I'm not actually, I can't tell you the exact stats of if you do an increasing thing where it will hit eventually, but I think that way people will start. And, it's, and now it becomes there's six, uh, seven people left in the game, three, three, a two, and a two. Oh, but there's a shot in the dark. This guy's gonna idle. It just adds like another layer of it's luck, but it's managed luck. If that makes sense, it's not true randomness. You can actually like game theory it out to, to you know, to 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 plan for that. And I think that way it'll, it'll, it'll 
always give that underdog a way out of a game and it will tell them the majority will always have to think of that. So now they need to start splitting votes or, 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 or you know, like you, like you said, you know, people have to now save votes, split votes. And then you might run into scenarios like we had in our season where Steph is not sure what's going on. So somebody can slip through the radar because they made a play because there was some confusion created. So I think it has potential with like one small tweak to be a staple that's just been the game forever. Hmm. I feel like I'm the strongest advocate of the one in six than maybe anyone in the world. Like, I have heard, okay, well, maybe you should appreciate. Firstly, I do think that's pretty hard for the viewers to follow, as if this game isn't hard and confusing enough when people have paint for where advantages. I mean, that, that, that's, that's a silly part, but like, who has what and how many advantages? Like, it is hard for the casuals and even sometimes the super fans. Like, there's a lot going on to remember, like, at what point we're at. It's a lot of math of the players to be doing, which I, which I enjoy. And, and I like that, um, not that it's too complicated, but I, I like that the players are then making different decisions, holding on to it, that they're rewarded for being able to stay in the game longer. You're penalized for needing it earlier. You have a worse shot. I think that that's fair in a social strategy game that you should be penalized for being on the outs earlier or, I don't know, I mean, there are parts of that demographic that have been hard, but like hopefully we're at a point where that's on you and now you only have a one in eight chance. So I like parts of that, but I actually feel like the one in six I, I don't have any complaints with the way that Shot in the Dark is working. Like, it's not hugely affecting things in ways that the whole game is upended. And I don't know that I ever want it to be, you know, get down to the one and three, one and two. Like, I'm fine with it being one and six. And the decisions players have to make. And I think there are a lot of decisions in playing it. There are decisions around what we've asked the whole season. Like, should you throw your vote? Look what happened to Chanel when she chose. Like, that socialness versus, yeah. um, you know, the impact something like Shot in the Dark can have only on the one in six, like that subtle pressure of only one in six versus like, it. you know, it's not an extreme pressure, but it's still a little scary. I actually think that's been working really well. It's interesting because the other day I was watching AFL and the point of AFL is that if you get a goal, six points, and if you get a behind, it's one point. So it's literally a one in six of that. And I okay. said to my brother, I'm like, this is like the Shot in the Dark because that's like a perfect number one in six because the behinds no one celebrates when you get a behind like you want a goal one in six is not good but they can also make the difference like you can win the game by one point so it's actually like again like this perfect formula of one in six and that's what i feel the show in the dark is i actually feel like it's the perfect number i think there are still tons of decisions between that socialness and the metric um and the mechanic of that and i and i also feel like you know, Romeo, for example, like he can play Sean in the dark, but then if he's wrong and he's not the primary, he's wasted it for the future. So there's still a lot of decisions to be made. And I think that subtle pressure for me is working well. Like I don't feel like I need it to appreciate because then I feel like it will become this really central part of the game um, where I'm, I'm enjoying the way that it acts on the sidelines and one day it'll hit and that will be pretty exciting. And I'm actually, I feel okay with it, but I definitely hear your point. I know a lot of people wanted to appreciate. And I think that, that's a different thing. Like that's a big part of the season to me. Like that's something they always have to be thinking about. Like how much are you keeping it and at what point in the game are you you going to use it? Because that becomes more powerful. So obviously it's a bigger part, I think, of the season. But just kind of having it in your pocket to probably not work, but maybe it will, for me, is fine for where it stands in the game. Sure, sure. I mean, maybe we're just mm-hmm. it's like two seasons back to back, you know. The, yeah, you know, the, for sure. Uh, yeah, so. when season... 43 is just like a perfectly fine season, but then season 44 is like an homage to season 43, <laughs> what we have now. Then we'll see it back to back. But let's start rewarding the players with the chippy. Take it away, Jacob, take a wide scene and MC Color. One, two, three. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. 
Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. All right, Jacques, can I request that you go first? Because I might be willing to change my points based on what you do. Because it's someone I haven't given points to that I feel like deserves points. And if you don't give them points, I might. So I need you to go first because I'm still kind of calculating. I know that that's not strictly kosher, but I probably keep it as it is. But like, I'm, I'm a little torn this week. Well, man, I'm 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 this I'm not a lawyer or something. I try advocate, so I can try and sway you. That's not my my speciality, Mm -hmm. Shannon. But uh, I will I will go first. You know, I love giving out uh, um, some points or chizzy points. It's the reason why I went on the show to be able to to be a chizzy point adjudicator. Um, (laughs) Okay. By the way, I never asked you. you they, when you did your thing with with Rob, um, I heard that they played my message uh, saying, you know, that you um, to to actually mm-hmm. uh, allocate chizzy points of Rob. So yeah, it's, it's the first time I seen the voice now at that time. Mm. Uh, probably the only time. And uh, I heard they played it. I downloaded yeah. this for like oh, cool, very cool. That's um, very cool. I mean, you are a guest on this podcast. You also played Survivor. I'm glad that like getting a feedback question on the show can still be a little bit of a thrill. Yes, yes, it was it was a big thrill. It was a big. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's it's one of the highlights of my life. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> being able to to be part of this community. Okay, okay. I have in third place. I have Tori, and this I don't know. I, some people are, are, are they low on her, but I think Tori has done a fantastic job of still being in the game by winning two immunities, which is not something that we see people do often. I mean, winning an immunity challenge alone is, is difficult. Winning two back-to-back uh, has been fantastic, you know, the first two of the season. And that after you mentioned it briefly, that interchange with Raya with just being able to like, hey, what's happening? Like, mm, I see something, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep an eye on it. Um, I don't know if it's just, if it's foretelling something or if it's just a random piece of information, but I think like Tori has... I think if you take it back to episode one or two and you would make predictions, who makes the merge or who gets to final 10, I don't think people would have had her, in the, uh, had her on that list. So the fact that she's still here, I think it's great. Three, three, third. So that's at one point for Tori, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Second, I'll say Drea. For the reasons we spoke, she got the, um, you know, she sat out, she got the advantage. She's still sitting on four of them. She got semi-caught with her hand in the cookie. Um, she got the, she got, didn't get caught with a cookie, but she got uh, caught with the breadcrumbs. So I'll have Drea second. I don't want to get too much. We, we spoke a lot about her. And then mm-hmm. firstly, I will say Mike, um, mm-hmm. for his great, you know, his ability to, to build these social connections. And then finally getting rid of, uh, I'm going to say a nemesis, but, uh, a, a thorn in his side that, that's been bugging for a while. Um, I think Mike has, done a fantastic job to be in the game without you know being a threat. I think he's done an exceptional job of his name is not once that I've heard 
got third round, is still sitting on an idol, which could potentially be well. Um, and I think that he is playing a fantastic, um, not not necessarily you know, flashy, flashy game, mm. but I think he's doing well with, I will say, an honorable mention to Omar. I think Omar did well in the last two rounds to control the vote and, and make sure he's got... Um, and I know knows what's happening, but I think Tori, Drea, and Mike in this instance uh, sweeps the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's interesting. That that gives me questions in, in other ways, which I'll explain. I mean, the point for Tori is really interesting. She does catch Drea out in a conversation that I thought was hilarious because Tori has to be like, "Say concern," like, "Oh no, the the paint got everywhere," and and Drea has to be like, "Yeah, be careful about that." The running well, not the, the worst warning ever. Like, be careful about the paint; it spreads. What? Yeah, she's basically a Larue. Like, be careful, don't do too much of it. But this is why you were ahead because imagine if Tori could be like, "Are you covered in paint?" And Drea could be like, "Uh." Yeah, I'm always covered in paint. So this is this is this is an emergent <laughs> strategy, but if, if the producers allow you being always covered in paint, um, I definitely think that's an interesting point. Uh, and yeah, she 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 caught her out, and I don't think that she was like too harsh about it. Like she still tried to act like, oh, I believe you, Drea. And then she mm. goes and tells Marianne, and we see there's a secret scene where she and Maria- Marianne seem to have a really nice bond, a relationship that's not making the airtime as much. You've seen the conversations, but they seem to really get on in the secret scene. So definitely some stuff there. Okay. So I'll give a point to Marianne based on the move to sit out, which I loved and getting that implicit immunity. It's predicated on great awareness and it's just a great individual one episode move. This is where I felt I got confused because I wanted to give, I'm definitely giving three points to Omar. I'm going in the, in the rare one, three, two direction because the two is what confused me. I knew I wanted to give one to Marianne because I felt like that deserved a point. Three points I want to give to Omar because I do love the way he's playing the game, connecting further, someone like Mike as well. Like he uses that lack of vote to help him keep him hidden. Like, that's what I love. Like, you talk about, you know, recruiting mechanisms. He didn't even have something, and that, that's a benefit to his game. And I know that it's building off last week where he got three points, but I just love the way that he's going about it. And even to be, you know, compared to Rob Sestanino, uh, like, by Rob, like, what a compliment. Um, and I just feel like the options and the potential in that and, like, sitting out as well to advance his cause, like, it's all contributing to what I think is, like, a really well-rounded game. And even if I don't know if that's what the modern game requires, it's a game that I love. So I have to give it points and then the two points I was I was struggling because I wanted like you know two points to Drea I wanted to give for succeeding in the framework she's given herself for getting knowledge is power which is so crucial to that there are some social missteps and missed opportunities I definitely think had she set out to get the advantage of the reward challenge like not for the PB&J reason and also if she'd like Sat, sat, you know, sat out for whatever reason she wanted, but like at least tried to pretend she was doing it socially. Um, I might have liked that a little bit more, but she can't be doing much better than this style of game. So I will give her two points, which makes her win the chili this week. I don't know how I feel about her getting the most points this week. I don't know if I can say that she was the best, but she gets four points this week from from the two from us. The, the, the one that I'm not giving to obviously is Mike, and that's someone. If you didn't give him any points, I might have had to switch. Like I'll give him the honorable mention because obviously he's so central, so social. How can we? you know, not give points. I literally have, have here. I hope Jacques gives him points. Um, so, uh, so, so you've got one Mary Ann, two for Drea, three yes. for Omar. Yes, yeah, three for okay. Omar. Because for Mike, I didn't love the Chanel move. I felt it was too personal. I felt that he was going out of his way, maybe unnecessarily. And I didn't even know if it's like the right move for him. So I didn't want to give him points for this episode for me, but I feel like where he's sitting in the game requires points. So I'm glad he got yeah. points and, and the three points from you. So that's enough for me to just stick with my original points um, and give to Drea and Marianne in that order. And that means that Drea continues to lead on 16 points. Uma is now on 14 points. 
High is on 11, Mike is now on 10, Romeo's on 9, Jonathan 6, Lindsay 4, Marianne is now on 4, uh, Tori is on 3, and then Daniel, Swati, and Jenny left on 2, and Lydia left on 1. So that's where we're at with the points. Who, and the only one left in the game who doesn't have points is Roxroy. Yeah, oh, he's the okay. only one who doesn't. So, okay. yeah. I don't know. I, I felt really torn because, again, it's just about, like, kind of – building in this episode rather than the individual moves even though i disagreed with mike's moves it was hard to give points but i feel like we got to like an okay place with it every you know oh my was doing well mike's doing well Dre's doing well they got points and then tori and marianne on the bottom are like trying to progress in their own way in constricted positions and they get a point each for that we did okay with it right yeah i think so i think so coming okay. in uh shannon who was your epic i don't know if I my winnipeg was omar i oh, say as i continue epic. to give him cheesy points i say like, that sounds like great. A, a... <laughs> Yeah. Being uh, not very objective. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who was your Winnipeg? Oh, you, uh, you, you, when, you didn't do the preseason stuff. Well, we didn't do the, the preseason, but after episode one, I said, I'll, yeah. um, I'll, I'll, I'll take Lindsay off episode one. I, I think I enjoyed her. And then just, you know, after week one, just, you know, checking what people do on socials. Yeah. I think obviously we haven't seen a lot of her, which doesn't necessarily bode well. But I mean, last, last season we didn't see a lot about, um, about Erica until, you know, the, the home stretch. So, uh, but yeah, I think she's also, she's, we haven't spoken a lot about Lindsay this, this episode, but I think, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think next week she's going to be, uh, you know, essentially forced into the limelight with the, um, interest advantages or, or advantage amulets mm. with the split coming up because then, you know, you might be forced to play it. So we'll see how that, how that pans mm. out. Excited. Yeah, I mean, she could get an honorable mention, I feel like, for those individual moves. Like, just the way she goes about the social moves, the fact that she's the first one in the negotiation, which, again, is not good for the negotiation itself. Definitely act like it's difficult. That's how you win the negotiation. But the fact that she can be like, I want, you know, people haven't eaten. I'm like, you're a social player. Like, you are thinking of others, and you're making that very, very apparent. So, yeah, very interesting to see that happen. But Jacques, where can people find you on social media to see if you're tweeting about the show? Lisa from last week, you know, she she's really dedicated to this 12 days of Twitter thing, but tweeting every day. So if I can do one thing for the world, it's get my guests more dependent on Twitter. Because she tweeted saying that, you know, she really missed it on Thursday when she couldn't go online. And I'm like, oh, now you're like the rest of us. You are dependent on this toxic product. You are welcome. So Jacques, maybe, yeah. maybe, hopefully, we don't put you in the same position. But where can people find everything? I, you I love Lisa. I love Lisa. She's probably my uh, the, the, the mm. New Zealander. I've I've spoken to the most on social media. Maybe the only one. Um, maybe one other. Like New Zealand survivor or like New Zealand the person? No, New Zealand survivor. Um, oh, okay. I, I don't. I don't know people in New Zealand. I think about it. Um, yeah. Not personally, <laughs> at least. I mean, yeah. Uh, Maybe no, that should be your 12-day challenge. Reach out make, more to more New Zealanders. Make some ma- friends from New Zealand. Well, yeah. if there's any New Zealanders in London, you know, come and get... <laughs> yeah. you know, like I'm trying to focus uh, on this yeah, international move that I did. I don't have time to just yes, be like, if, randomly... Exactly. I, I, yes, you, um, you can get me on Twitter at Joppy Tweeten. Um, mm-hmm. I have not tweeted in a while, purely because of the move to London. I always like to just give my, you know, Randy Bailey-style one sarcastic... Uh, <laughs> uh, comment on each episode. Um, some people enjoy it, some people don't, but it's it's cool. But I haven't tweeted in a while. But if you are a uh, Survivor fan, um, I am in dire need of friends in London. Um, <laughs> not dire, but uh, if you want, if you want, if you have a a braai or as they call it here, barbecue. If you have a braai or a barbecue uh, and you you would like to uh, have two South African soy and Hayden, I would be more than welcome to. Um, <laughs> To head out at night, it's, it's the sounds 
extremely sad. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on Zoff between and on, on Twitter and then Instagram. I just you can just search me there. But I, it's mostly I'll actually post a couple of London pictures now. I think about on Instagram. So yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah, I'm there as well. Yeah, well, Jacques, remember, like if if they don't invite you over, like they might not be into you. That's <laughs> they might be intimidated as I'm the best survivor yeah. currently in London. Yes, and if there's yeah. any other survivor. <laughs> Who want to challenge me? Let's go for a street fight. I'm down. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know that that's okay. what we're endorsing, but maybe we should try and get Kieran not to move to London because okay. then there yeah. would be no question, um, and then you could keep the title forever, and that that would be great. That's yeah. a good thing so, to have. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. Um, I always say this, but I know that year by year your pool of people grows bigger. So I always appreciate when um, you you ask me to join. Uh, it's always lovely, and I always have a, have a blast chatting to Bible with you. So yeah, it's always great fun for me, and always a fun point in the season. I really enjoyed it. Again, no, I always love chatting to you. And yes, there are a lot of great guests, and we've had many of them this season, and we'll continue to have great guests. But I do always love chatting with you because you know it just feels like chatting with a friend about something we both love so much and think about too much, and it's just always a good time. And I love this conversation mm-hmm. and that it went from you know hate strategies to sex in the city <laughs> strategies to like actual thoughts on the game for sure. But always a great time. So thank you so much, Jacques. And next week I will have another friend. King George Mladenov will join me to talk oh, about the Double Tribal Council, which we talked about last season. So, yes, yes. Yes. I will so now give it to a, a more suitable guest, yeah. George is, is fantastic. So I think he will have some great insights for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I'm excited to get his takes after all of Talking Tribal. We've obviously talked about a lot of Survivor together, but mm. we'll be talking for the first time about this season. Um, speaking of Australian Survivor, Deep Dives continue. Uh, five are out. So Nina and Khan were most recent. Sam, Mark and Chrissy from last week. And KJ still to come. So almost done with the content for that season. But thank you so much to everyone who's checking out all of that. I know it's a lot of hours of podcasting. And I really appreciate anyone who's checking out the content. Follow me at Shannon Gates. Subscribe to the International Survivor Half Up Speed so you don't miss any of that. But Jacques, thank you so much again. Thank you so much, yeah, truly, truly had a great time. Thank you to Scott Stampier behind the scenes. Thank you to you all for listening in your cars. Hope you're having enjoyable drives. Hope you're whatever seat you're in. Hope you're not hanging on to the side, <laughs> back seat, front seat, wherever you are. And keep you your seatbelt on. Yeah, keep your seatbelt <laughs> on for sure. You know that's like the immunity of the car. You know that's and anyway. The, we have we have to finish the analogy, but I will see you guys next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Australian survivor. 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 21 South Africans. 12 ordinary Australians. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.